Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Kuhn. That's episode 289. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, that is at StacyPan89 on Twitter. Stacy, how are you doing on this Victory Monday? Uh, more than cautiously optimistic. I, I would echo those sentiments. Uh, we are joined by... Uh, not a first-time guest, not even a first time in a long time. Uh, you know him as Jeffrey Rasmussen. That is at Frank Barrett one one nine on Twitter. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing yourself on this victory Monday? I'm um, doing all right. Hanging in there. Just excited to talk about the game and tomorrow night. Awesome. Uh, and we are going to do that. But before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Give us a follow on there. Check it out uh, at the Strick.land on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you already have not done so. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has new merchandise. I'm wearing some of it. The quick one shirts. Uh, they're very fun. Uh, we have shirts, sweatshirts, uh, shorts, fucking hats, all kinds of shit. Check it out. Uh, there's new merch on there. There's Jalen Brunson merch. There's Quickly merch. There are also just Strickland merch. Uh, check it out. We have, again, a lot of new stuff on there. Finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag. That comes out every other week alongside Andrew, or sorry, alongside Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, the uh, the Knicks won a basketball game, uh, game one of the playoffs at Cleveland on Saturday evening, one hundred one ninety seven. Uh, it was a beautifully ugly game. Is maybe the good best way to put it. Uh, having rewatched it now, I feel very very good about i mean I, I felt good after watching it the first time but it's like you watch it once you don't really fully you know you got to watch the tape three times before you really uh have a grasp on what's going on but like watching it a second time um i think the knicks played a really good game and i think they played a really good game under circumstances that kind of fucked them uh i thought brunson i don't know if he, he, he i don't even know how many minutes he played in the first half it might have been like six or seven um but i thought two of the fouls he picked up were completely bogus and um so you know quickly didn't have a good offensive game grimes didn't have a good offensive game rj didn't have a good offensive game i know he had six assists i just don't particularly think he had a very good offensive game um and really i mean randall i didn't think had a i I don't really care what his numbers were i didn't think he had a bad game but he didn't have a good scoring game um 
and the Knicks just didn't get a lot of good offense from anybody aside from basically Brunson and Josh Hart, and they still won the game. Um, and they probably should have won. And Obi. Yeah, and Obi. And, and Obi didn't play much. He probably should have played more. Um, but, like, they didn't get a shit ton of great production across the board, really. And I think they they probably still should have won the game by more, um, which is telling. Um, and I thought defensively they they it's kind of weird to say this, but like I don't think Cleveland's very hard to defend. Um, and I think the Knicks knew exactly who to help off of. I knew, I think they knew what they were doing. They had a couple of brain farts where they lost Garland. That's just going to happen over the course of a game. Um, but I thought their, their, their defense on Mitchell was actually really, really good. He just made a lot of tough shots because that's what he does. And, you know, uh, the Knicks front court, I mean, we've talked about, we talked about this coming into the series, but the two things the Knicks had an advantage of over Cleveland, I thought, were controlling the glass and their depth. And both of those were paid off in full during this game. You could see the difference in the depth, even with so many guys not really playing that well in game one. And you could obviously see, especially in the second half, how much more physical and how much more dominant they are on the glass. And I know, like, I think Mobley and Allen both had double doubles. Evan Mobley... He, he he might as well just be Julius Randle's second or third son. However, I don't know. Like it, it was that it was very emasculating in a lot of ways. He was completely dominated physically by Randle, um, and I thought it was very funny. There was that clip of him like getting basically like shoulder barge under the uh, on the under the rim on a on a free throw, and there are like Cavs fans are like that's a foul, and I'm like it's not a foul that Evan Mobley is just not strong enough to hold off Julius Randle. I'm sorry. Um, and and if we're going to be completely honest here, I think Evan Mobley is going to be an awesome player. I think he might, he's probably going to be, I, I would imagine, a Hall of Fame caliber player by the end of his career. Um, but he's not that guy yet. It's his second year. He's not physically where he's going to be in year four, five, six. And there's no shame in that. But like that's kind of why I thought the discourse leading into the series was a little weird, where it was like, Cleveland has four All-Stars. And it's like, well, one, Mobley hasn't actually made a fucking All-Star game yet. Um, and and two, like, I don't I think people are just were conflating a lot of what your projection is for Evan Mobley moving forward versus what he is today. Um, and I think he's a fantastic defensive player already. Offensively, there's a lot of room to grow and physically just, you know, in terms of filling out, he's got a long, a long way to go. Um, but the Knicks capitalized on their advantages and they won a game in Cleveland that again, I think they could have won by more. Yeah. I mean, I think um, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of those. Um, even, I mean, Brunson missed a, missed a quarter with foul trouble, obviously. Even his final stat line, 27 points on 24 shots. You know, we expect usually him to be more efficient than that. Um, and he missed um, he missed a few, even on, like, Chetty Osmond that were very makeable shots. Um, so the idea that, like, the Knicks played their best, certainly on offense, I think uh, I think Cleveland had a lot to do with that. Um, but, um, but, I mean, I think, I think you got, in a way, you got Cleveland's best shot in terms of their defense. I thought they played a terrific defensive game. I think they caused a lot of issues for the Knicks, and the Knicks responded well. Uh, some of that was, um, I still think that they're constrained when Randall and Brunson are open, are, are both on the floor together. It's those co- That causes problems for Cleveland. Uh, I think early on, Mobley was helping pretty aggressively in the paint. Randall made him pay with threes. 
Um, Randall seemed to get a little bit gassed, but I, I thought he played. I thought he played as, as well as you could hope. Um, I think he'll shoot better um, as he gets his legs back under him. Um, but I mean, I think to your point earlier, it was it was kind of a slow burn. You know, I think Jonathan Knack retweeted about this at halftime. The Cavs actually had more one more offensive rebound than the Knicks, um, so they had basically you know had that in a draw. And at the time, I was like, well, you know, coming into the series, I thought the Knicks that had to be a clear win for the Knicks. Um, but if you told me that the Knicks are not winning on the glass, that Brunson has barely played, um, that Randall is the only player that showed up, uh, and the Knicks are up, and Donovan Mitchell is going off, and the Knicks are up five, I would have been, you know, it's two ways to look at it, right? Well, they need to get the rebounding in gear, but also it was like they're winning, and, and a lot has gone wrong, and it was um, it was a slow burn. You saw like, you know, the way like a, a ground game can can wear down. Especially uh, soft teams from Ohio, Shwin, uh, as you are well aware. Um, in the second half, you know, you, it, it wears on you. And you have 40 and, – and the Cavs also lack of depth hurts there. You had 43 minutes, I think, for Jared Allen. I think Mobley had 37. Um, you know, Randall played 31. Uh, and and that, that's – the other luxury of Isaiah Hartenstein there is you now – you know, I'm not, this isn't a debate about Mitch or Hartenstein, but the reality is the Knicks can have one of those guys out there at all times. And the Cavs, the Cavs are not comfortable playing Mobley at the five clearly that much in this series. Um, they they had Allen out there a ton, and forty three minutes of just those guys just you know bumping you and and all all game and you know and even things like you know Mitch Mitch outran Allen a couple of times down the floor. Uh, then you throw in Obi and you know now you have to ch- switch up and, and chase him down the floor. It just it wore them out all game, and they don't have the depth to deal with that. And that's not an issue that's going away. And the longer the series is, and you know, the longer that these games go, and you can't rest those guys, you know, even if if the Cavs get hot and build a lead, um, you know that Tibbs is never the one to throw in the towel. But I think that the longer the Knicks can keep even a game where they might lose competitive, that is important. Um, and, um, and and so yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think I think that. In terms of what's sustainable, I think the rebounding advantage and, and winning there is going to be sustainable. Uh, I think a lot of what they did on defense, which is basically to say, Okoro or Osman or somebody hit a shot because we don't think you can. Mobley hit a shot. We don't think you can. I think a lot of that is sustainable. Um, and I think there's there's room for more on offense. That's not a disrespect to the Cavs, but you know, just having Brunson on the floor more will help. Um, and, um, and I, I mean, I think that, you know, there were some jitters for some of the guys, you know, Grimes had an insane bank three where it looked like it went off the top of the backboard. Uh, you know, he was clearly feeling the jitters, you know, quickly, you know, we talked about, you know, he, he seemed to be sped up. Some of that was the Cavs defense. Some of it, I think was probably him being a little bit amped. Um, uh, it is a tougher defense in his face and he's going to have to, uh, you know, he's going to adjust, um, as he has his career. Uh, and I think Randall, you know, Randall got a lot of good looks, and I think his process was generally good. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of it felt really sustainable. Um, and and it was a it was a four point win. So I'm not saying like this means the Knicks are going to sweep, but I think uh, I think you mentioned this one before. Like I think this is just going to be the kind of series it is. They're going to be ugly games. You have to have tough buckets. Both teams have some tough bucket getter, getters. Um, and you know, the Knicks are going to have to win on the glass and limit turnovers. And, you know, the extent to which Cleveland can nullify the advantage on the glass and the extent to which the Knicks can, you know, get decent possessions without turning the ball over. Whoever does better in, in that 
kind of losing battle. Um, that's going to determine it. But um, but I'm expecting this to go seven games. After what I saw and after seeing Randall healthy, I'm I am confident in I'm pretty confident that the Knicks can pull it out in seven. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm going to be a little bit more negative. I mean, I'm. <laughs> I'm with you guys, um, especially what Stacy said about the sustainability of a lot of like that can a lot of the things that contributed to the Knicks win. But I I do want to push back a little bit on the whole idea that like oh Donovan Mitchell scored 38 and the Knicks had like you know all these guys shoot bad so like it can get better for the Knicks but you know it kind of can't for the Cavs. Uh, I think that there's kind of a misconception about. Like what? It's it's very rare. Class, by the way, I, I I just think that that wasn't the Knicks' best shot. But I definitely think I agree with you that the Cavs are capable of playing better as well. But yeah, um, I just I, I think I think and and I'm gonna blame this on LeBron James. I think there's a misconception about what good like playoff basketball is. Like Donovan Mitchell was terrific, but he took 30 shots to get 38 points. The Knicks will sign for that every single time. They'll sign for Donovan Mitchell taking 30 shots and only scoring 38 points. I think that a better Cavs team has a more democratic style, and specifically Darius Garland is more involved. Um, obviously, there's only so much Mitchell can do when, I mean, Jared Allen's not going to create his own shot. Evan Mobley is 4 for 13, and they just don't have an abundance of shooters. So, like, Mitchell, in that game, he was very much in the right to be like, okay, I have to go win this for my team. But the best Cavs team that we're going to see is more balanced. And it has Garland and Mitchell attacking from both sides of the court. And I think they kind of are going to realize that soon. And the second thing I want to say is I think they're going to, I think they're going to realize that Jalen Brunson isn't being stopped by Isaac Okoro. And I think they're going to lean into okay, we already have a really good defense and we don't need a one-on-one stopper. Let's just play our big four and then the fifth guy will be whoever's shooting the best that night. Like, the Knicks were very lucky that, and this sounds crazy to say, but the Knicks were very lucky that Osmond only played 19 minutes. Um, I think he's going to start playing 25 plus 30 minutes. I think he's the best shooter they have that's not one of their big four. And look, if Osmond can bring... 75% of what Okoro brings on defense, which I think he does. I, I, I saw some people, you know, making fun of like, oh, they tried to put Osmond on Brunson. I agree that Osmond's not going to stop Brunson. I'm not saying he's some Brunson stopper, but like he doesn't need to stop Brunson because nobody can stop Brunson in isolation. What he needs to do is not be a total sieve defensively, be able to hold his own and make shots. If they, if their fifth guy can comfortably make shots, all of a sudden the Knicks defensive plan is just, it's so much different when you can't like when you said you watched the game twice, anybody who hasn't watched the game a second time, go and rewatch the game and look at how far off they were always cheating off the guys they didn't respect. That is what makes Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland's life difficult. If you're, if they're basically playing one on two, one on three, every time they try and go into the paint, the Knicks clearly didn't respect Mobley when he was facing. They clearly didn't respect Okoro when he was facing. I mean, even Levert, they were. And those guys are going to, you know, those guys are going to make some more shots too. But my point is, is that the second those shots stop, start going in, the Knicks are going to have to adapt. And all of a sudden, Mitchell and Garland's lives get a little bit easier. All of a sudden, their offense gets a little bit more balanced. I agree that, like, 
quickly, RJ, Grimes, their offense is going to look better going forward. But this is going to be a battle, and box scores are going to look like they were in game one. If quickly shoots well next game, if RJ shoots well next game, I think somebody else takes a step back. It's never going to be a regular season night where, oh, the Knicks shoot 55% and, and the box score looks pretty across the board. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be like this huge indictment on the players. It's just this is what it is. The Cavs were the number one defense in the league for a reason. I'm cautiously optimistic. I would bet on the Knicks to win the series right now, but I'm definitely not like, oh, this team is a tier below us. They don't have another level. We do like, oh, we won and they got our worst effort. No, like I, I, I think this is going to be a long one. Do they have another gear? I don't think they do. I like. I just don't like. Yes, if Osman and Okoro and Levert make shots, that helps them. But like, those guys generally aren't great shot makers. I mean, like the Okoro thing. This is why like people are like, oh, he's been shooting forty three percent from three since whatever the hell it was. And I'm like, does anybody give a fuck? Like, like who actually cares that Okoro shot whatever the. He he took what two threes. He missed both of them, and after that point, he just turned into fucking captain checkdown. Is pump fake drive, kick it to somebody else. Pump fake drive, kick it to somebody else. I think he beat us on one cut after that, uh, which was a very well-timed cut. But, like, to beat somebody on cuts, you have to literally time it perfectly, and it's not possible. That's not sustainable. It's weird that he's not a, more of a factor on the glass. That's well, he's just never been – he's never – He's never been a good rebounder, though. Even in college, yeah. he wasn't a good rebounder. So it's just a thing that he's not. But good he has at. so many traits that good rebounders. Yeah, have. he's well, strong, he's, athletic, and like uh, um, and, and and motor, right? I mean, yeah, he's type. So, um, but like, I don't really think they have a higher gear, and I don't think they can present their offense in different ways. Like you're talking, you, you mentioned that you know get Garland more involved type of thing. We've played them four times this year, three of or five times now, four of those times with Garland and Mitchell. On none of those occasions has it felt like Garland is getting a lot of touches. I'm just looking at his numbers right now in each game. He took he went five of nineteen against us, six of seventeen, eight of nineteen. What the hell did he shoot in this game? Um, I don't know what he shot in this game, but it, it wasn't particularly good. He was and, seven for thirteen. Yeah, okay, seven of thirteen. But like, I mean, he didn't, I totally but he but he, but he but he yeah. didn't attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. Sorry. Yeah, didn't attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. Had a bunch of turnovers, if I remember correctly. Um, what did you say? You had five turnovers, Stacey? Is that what you said? Yeah, one assist. Which yeah, like I mean, he, that's the opposite. I mean, he is the opposite of that. Usually. Right, and and I just think that like, look, personally, I think we've seen again. We've seen them for five games now. I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I've been. I was watching all the Cavs all the time this year. But like when I did catch them, and when I have caught them, and when I've seen them play the Knicks, it's the Donovan Mitchell show. Um, and yeah, Garland gets numbers a lot of times and, and he's good. And I'm sure there are nights where like, it's a more egalitarian thing and they're playing off of each other. But when they've played us, it's been the Donovan Mitchell show every single time, you know, especially down the stretch of games. It's always Donovan Mitchell all the time, pick and roll, pull up jumpers, whatever the fuck. It's always him. Um, and I'll say this. I think he's got a huge hero complex. I think he's got to be the man. He wants to be the man. He wants to take these hero ball shots. He wants to own the moment and all that sh- shit. And that's great that he has that mindset and he has that confidence. Like, I, I mean that. Like, we saw that. That's a thing that you need to develop as a player a lot of times. Like, I thought quickly his biggest issue wasn't that he missed shots. I think it's that he let missed shots impact his decision-making in terms of looking for offense throughout the game. 
Um, and I think that's exactly why Tibbs pulled him when he did, because he picked his dribble up uh, and then he tossed the ball to Mitch. And then the offense went to shit for that entire possession. And he was just like, okay, well, if you're just not going to keep your dribble alive, I'm just taking you out of this game, putting Brunson back in. Um, and I was fine with that, by the way. I thought that was, I, I would have liked to see him play with Brunson a little bit, but I had zero issue with him pulling quickly in that moment. I thought that was a totally reasonable choice. Uh, anyway, to go back to this, like, I just don't know that they have a higher gear. Their entire offense is predicated on what those two guys do with the ball in their hands. And um, I think the Knicks have done a good job. And I, this is probably the most encouraging part of this because what sucked about that Hawks series a couple years ago where it was like, it was like, we're just going to drop. We're going to play drop the entire fucking game, pick and roll. Like we didn't switch it up. And I thought what was very encouraging was even at the start of this game, we blitzed the ball handler a couple of times. We trapped the ball handler a couple of times and they mixed that in throughout the game. And they did that. If you go back and watch the last regular season game we played against Cleveland, they did that all throughout the fourth quarter. Um, they got, they trapped Donovan Mitchell, they trapped Garland at the top of the key and they put Evan Mobley or Jared Allen in those four on three situations and dare them to beat them. And they couldn't. And I still don't, I don't think they can because I don't think they have the caliber of shooters to consistently beat you. And we also know that their depth sucks. Like I think Osman is an okay player. I think he's fine. Um, but like if Chetty Osman is your big pivot, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't think they really actually have a higher gear. If anything, this was kind of what I was talking about last week when we had Jordan on to preview the series. Like, one of my main things with Cleveland is they have the metrics of a maybe the best team in the NBA, if you look at just, like, all their underlying metrics. But they're, and I'm going to use an analogy I'm sure Stacy remembers, they remind me a lot of, like, Michigan football's defense under uh, Dr. Blitz himself, Fucking, why can't I remember his name? Don Brown. Where it's like, they're so good at beating up on teams they are better than in the regular season. They're so good at that. They beat the shit out of them. It's not like they're eking out, you know, seven, eight point wins. It's like 15 point win, 20 point win, 25 point win. That juices their metrics. They have a losing record against playoff teams. They have a losing record against the Knicks. Like, they, I, I don't think that means they're a bad team, but I do think that's a sign of, Look, we know this in the regular season. Like, there's a different effort you get when the Knicks are playing like the fucking Pacers versus when the Knicks are playing the Cavs or the Celtics or the Sixers or whoever it is that's actually a good team. Those are different efforts. And when teams are at least on equal talent footing with them, and that that effort and that focus is evenly matched, I think they have shown consistently throughout the year that they don't have a higher gear. And I'm not, I don't know if the Knicks have some elite higher gear, but I do think that in terms of pure overall talent, the Knicks match them. They, they don't have the top end talent they have, but you go one through nine, they can match, they match them. And I will say, and I, I think this is the biggest thing. And I hope I, Tibbs might have stumbled onto something by accident, but I hope he recognizes it. He pulled Julius at the start of each half very early, I think four and a half minutes into the first half and then maybe five or six minutes into the second half. And he said, I think after the game, he said that it was because Julius was winded, right? And that makes sense. You know, Julius isn't played. So he's kind of the first run of each half is like when you're getting your second wind, right? You're like, shit, I'm gassed out here. Takes a rest, comes back in. And he was, I, 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 again, like, again, I don't care what the numbers were for Julius. I thought he played a really, really good game. I was very happy for him. And I was very, honestly, I know this sounds ridiculous because like, who cares? But I'm like, I was like proud actually watching him. Um, but, but like, those minutes that the way that that rotation ended up working was beautiful. 
it was beautiful because you had Obi with the starters basically against Cleveland starters. So even if you want to say Obi is weaker than Randall, which he is, he's not as good as Randall, right? You're still putting him around your, you know, con- for all intents and purposes, let's just call them the Knicks' other four best players, right? Um, so you're putting him in a strong lineup. So even though you're conceding a little bit, he's kind of protected in a lot of ways. And then the beautiful part of it was when you bring Randall back in, you end up matching him up in these lineups that Cleveland puts out there with like two or even three bench guys. And that's a huge advantage for the Knicks when you have Randall in those matchups. Um, and I just thought that worked so well in both halves. Uh, and I don't know that he will stick with that because throughout his career, we know this, Tibbs has shown that he prefers to play his what he thinks are his best lineups together a lot. And so that would mean that, you know, Julius gets the, the normal run we've, ex- we've seen from him this year. I think that would be a mistake. I really think they stumbled into something there. Um, and I was actually like really encouraged by it during the game. Cause I was like, is Tibbs like, did he just like make, yeah. Did he just like make this insane playoff adjustment that totally like screwed over the Cavs? Like they weren't meant, like they weren't prepared for this. I don't know if he'll stick with it. I hope he does. Um, and I will say, aside from the extended RJ minutes in the fourth, which I thought were a mistake in real time, and obviously they he came to that conclusion too a little bit too late, uh, you know, after the Knicks had blown a ten point lead. But uh, aside from that, and I know that's a big aside, but like aside from that, I thought Tibbs coached a fucking really good game. I thought he coached a really really good game, and um, I was genuinely impressed with the Knicks showing a little bit more tactical diversity and flexibility flexibility than they showed in their last playoff appearance against Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I think that the criticism that many have leveled against Tibbs previously was, you know, especially when the Knicks' strength was versatility more than top-end talent, you know, he's still operating, you know, he has a toolbox of a lot of interesting tools, um, but he's operating like he only has a hammer, right? He's still doing everything the Tibbs way. That's changed a lot. Uh, Our island of misfit toys. (laughs) Yeah, and he, but he's deploying them in very creative ways. Um, I'll, I'll mention a couple. Um, one, they've just the pace has been a key point of emphasis, not just this game, but the last game against Cleveland as well. Uh, he wants them to play fast against this team. Makes sense; they're a great half court defense. This is uh, pretty standard stuff. But you're seeing it. You know, he's he's kind of letting go of the control freak. And like even even when the Knicks are fucked, I mean, they, the start to the second half yesterday was horrendous. Tips called two timeouts. Um, but you know, he, he didn't, he didn't rein them in. He didn't, you know, he didn't do that. So I like that. Um, we were kind of talking about this in the discord. I like how he deploys, he mixes, um, like quickly and harder capable on ball defenders. But I, I actually appreciate the fact that he, he likes to put, keep them off ball because there's, there's so much more impactful and help. Um, you know, we can kind of discuss whether art, that means RJ should be on Garland or whatever. Personally, I think that it's going to be a team effort anyway, so I want my best team guys being able to impact the most. And then the other thing I want to mention, so getting back to what, what Jeff was saying about Osman, I think is maybe Osman can give you 75% of what Koro can give you on defense, but I don't think it's, I, I think it's much more binary than that, especially against Brunson. Because the thing with Brunson is, one, he, once he gets to his spot, unless you are just extremely lengthy, He's over. He is going to get a good look. He missed a, a, a few good looks against Osman. That's number one. Another number two is the other thing that Okoro really creates is his ability to get over screens. 
what I really liked that the Knicks started doing, especially when Okora was out of the game, was more guard screens. I'd expect them to go to, go to that more. Um, they've done, they did, they do that a lot against Miami, whether it's Grimes or RJ or Hart. You know, they have a lot of good physical screen. IQ is a good screener. They have a lot of good screeners. So you bring that guy to Brunson, and usually it's the guy who Donovan Mitchell is guarding because the Cavs do not want to switch Donovan Mitchell onto, onto Brunson. And it was so very put, fun watching that in the second half when Brunson was like, you know what? It's time to let me. It's time to hunt Donovan Mitchell for a second here. Yeah, and the, and <laughs> and of course, immediately fade away. Like, and I, it might even be a psychological edge, but he just he looks at Mitchell, he sees food, so they don't want to switch that. Okora allows them to defend Brunson in those screens without having to switch and without giving up the pull up. Right? There's so many things because if you if you play a little bit off, Brunson hits you with the pull up. If you are a second late on the switch, he can he can beat you. If you, you know, shade him one way, you can reject. He has so many ways to attack it. You need, so like, even if it's, you know, whether it's 75%, 80%, I think that tipping point completely changes things. Um, I think Levert is probably the best compromise between those two, where he's a little bit physical and lengthier. Um, I don't love his screen navigation, but he's got, he's got that ability to kind of at least bother Brunson a little bit, uh, while also being able to knock down shots. I think that is a worry for me that if, if Levert really, gets going. Um, he's a player that's been playing well. I know Prez mentioned him as a guy to really watch out for as that other guy. That is, I think, of the, the thing. But, like, I, I think that besides Okoro, I, I, Brunson is just going to, Brunson is going to pour on the points without them guarding him with Okoro. You know, Cavs fans have even mentioned Mobley. They tried that in the last game. Mobley struggles on that switch, too, and it's not, it's because Brunson is so, you know, is so talented. Well, also, um, like, I just think it's a stupid idea to, like, they're already getting crushed on the glass. Yeah. Now you want to pull one of your seven footers out of the paint to go handle Brunson off the bounce, okay? Or Randall on the glass, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Let's see, let's see, Karis Levert boxing out Julius Randall. I'll pay money to go watch that one. Give me a fucking break, man. Um, this is what I'm saying though. Like, I really just don't think the Cavs have pivots. They need their four guys to be it's Levert. Levert has to have a big series. Well, Levert sucks, so that's not going to happen. Um, but <laughs> like, yeah, but like. I mean, I mean, even if like think about what we're talking about though. Like, admittedly, Karis Levert is at best, right? He's an average rotation player. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, yeah, he, yeah, an average rotation player is is better on offense. And I don't. Yeah, and, they don't need to drop thirty. They just need right. like fifteen or twenty and to hit, knock and, down enough shots, as Jeff and, was saying, to like free up Garland and yeah, a little bit. And I think one of the big issues with Levert, not not necessarily that's an issue, but just one of the realities of him as a player is. When he has, like, and you can see this throughout his career if you just go through his game logs, right? He'll just randomly have, like, didn't he have, like, 40 this year in Boston or something? Like, he has, like, these random huge games, right? But those are usually games where he gets to handle the ball a ton, where he gets a lot of on-ball usage, on-ball reps, whatever. He's just not going to get that in this series. like, And he's not going to get that unless when they're at full health because it's going to run through Mitchell. It's going to run through Garland, right? It's not going to run through him. And... um I just like if if that's what it takes if if we lose because Karis Levert goes off, so be it. Like that, that, I'll live with that. And it's kind of like you can see the way the Cavs were defending RJ, right? Like it's kind of the same thing where they're like, if RJ Barrett's going to beat us on three, so be it. It's like we're we'll live with that. Um, and we'll see. Like I thought it was. They're living be with different. Randall beating them from three too. By the way, like yeah. Mobley is not going out there. They want him in the paint, so their goals are going to be open. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and and good for them that Mobley was in the paint because he did such a good job of uh, controlling the glass. Um, but like, I thought 
it was kind of not telling, but I think it says so. It, it says so. I, I, or at least I just found it interesting that throughout the game, when I and IQ didn't have a good game at all, uh, offensively anyway. I thought defensively was actually pretty decent, but uh, offensively, like it's just funny to me that when he was on the floor without Brunson, right? So it's basically him and RJ. They were putting Okoro on him and hiding hiding Garland on RJ, and I thought that was just like I was like, man, that's that is saying something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just look. Can I think sure says Quickly's a really fucking good player, and Cleveland has been prepping for him like he's at the top of the scouting report. Well, I think that goes back to the last game. I think it says that. And I think it says a couple of other things, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, the other like, thing I did want to add on that note, sorry, I'll let you finish. Yeah. You did mention, you know, in addition to the, um, I think, I do think, I, I, I've said this before, I am a little bit concerned about IQ's ability to handle right now just what Cleveland has been throwing at him in terms of the length and the pressure. Um, and I think pairing him with one of Brunson or Randall, or when, you know, I think one of Brunson or Randall, you can have it so one of them is always on the floor. And I think that's another advantage to your point to staggering, which I think that they need to. I think that might be the impetus for, for Tibbs, and especially if he well, sees that you know quickly needs a, you know can use a little bit of a hand there. Right? Yeah, so, and and it was and weird. that offense in general. I don't want yeah. to go out quickly. They struggled in both rocks. Well, it was weird because he did that in the first half, and which kind of was by you know, accident. yeah, accident because of you know Julius was tired and then Brunson was in foul trouble. But like in the second half, at the end of the third quarter, he ran out a lineup that didn't have Brunson and didn't have Randall. And then at the very end of the third quarter, I think For he was literally like, a possession. It was yeah. literally one possession, and he was yeah. like, "Oh shit, enough of this." Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was like, "Okay, well, I, that was stupid." Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I actually think what quickly needs to do is, and and he did this actually in the game. It what it, it didn't pay off because he was kind of tentative. What Cleveland did, they clearly knew the scouting report on him. They sat on the corner passes he likes to make when he gets into the paint and jumps in the air. And they picked him off twice on those. I didn't have a problem. I I don't have an issue with the plays he was trying to make, but it was a clear that it was a clear thing of a team knowing the scouting report of a player and executing it. And he made that adjustment. If you go back and watch the game, like after that, when he got into the paint, he knew that they were going to sit in the corners. And I think Johnny Bryant even like talked to him after one of the timeout or when they called the timeout, and he was like kind of pointing to him what to do. And um, you you saw like he actually set up Hart for an open three at the top of the key. Hart missed it, but it was like that's the adjustment he has to make. I think he has to be more of a distributor. And I also think that there are times he just needs to be more. Um, I think he needs to direct traffic better. There were a couple of drives he had where there's one where Obi was in the strong side corner, and there was one where RJ was in the strong side corner. And those are guys that Cleveland is willing to help off of in this series. So when he put the ball on the floor and he started driving. There was the you know they they were all converging on him, so he didn't really have anywhere to go. He ended up, I think he he turned the ball over on one because he did try to make the corner pass uh, when Obi was in the strong side corner one. He tried to make the corner pass to the weak side, and then on the other one, um, he ended up uh, kicking it out to somebody. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't like it was kind of like a or he actually ended up having to swing it out to RJ because his man had helped off of him. But like those are the things I'm like you should tell RJ to clear out to the opposite side. You should tell OB to clear out to the opposite side. If you want to run a pick and roll there, like you need to tell those guys to clear out to the opposite side because you're not going to get anywhere unless you want to just set them up for a corner three, which is fine. But like those are kind of the reads that he has to make and he has to be cleaner with. And he also just has to keep his dribble alive more. Um, can't pick it up the way he was. Uh, he, he picked it up once right at the elbow 
which blew up a possession. Then he did the one we talked about when Tibbs immediately pulled him after. He didn't know who he was at the elbow. Yeah, he did not know who he was at the elbow to that, that game. But, like, um, yeah, I mean, forgetting the quickly part of it. But, like, I just feel that the Knicks, maybe they don't, maybe they, they have the same higher gear that Cleveland does. I just think they have more variance in how they can get there. And I'll take that over Cleveland's top end talent right now, I think, because as good as Mitchell is, I don't think he's a top five, top 10 player. And as good as Darius Garland is, I'm not sure he's wired to just be like, fuck it, I'm taking 25 shots tonight, which is kind of like the mindset I think he needs to have for them to really, you know, turn the series around and win it. But um, I could be wrong. And maybe Evan Mobley has a breakout series or something. We'll see. Um, but I, I was just really, I don't think really he'll shoot four for 13 again. Although, you know, I, I did go back and watch a lot of the misses were like makeable shots in the paint. Yeah, but they're like but over Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so like, can they be made? Sure. We've seen guys like Embiid make those. Mobley's probably going to do that one day. Maybe it'll be as soon as this series, but it's not like it's not some fluky thing where he was just missing bunnies, you know? Yeah, and I, I will say just before I throw it back to Jeff, because I know I've been talking for a while. Um, I so I didn't like that he left RJ in for as long as he did in the fourth quarter, but I thought the double sub he made at that time to bring in Hartenstein and Grimes for Mitch and RJ was extremely smart. And if there's a pivot that Cleveland can make tactically, I think it's probably, you know, doing what we've seen Miami do to us on a lot of occasions. We just start blitzing and trapping Brunson off pick and rolls and stuff like that and trapping Julius. Um, and if that's the case, the Knicks do have the right, they have the right player personnel pivots to make. It's Hart just on Tibbs. Yeah. It, it's, it's just about is Tibbs, will he be quick on the trigger to make them? Because like Hartenstein, Hart, Grimes, Quick, those are the guys in those situations that are really, we've seen that, right? Like they're really good at punishing those and capitalizing on those advantages. So um, we'll see if he does that. But like, I, other aside from that, as a very specific tactical pivot, I just don't think they have the player personnel to do a whole lot to change up like the scenario, I guess, on the Knicks. And whereas with the Knicks, like, I mean, we didn't even see this game, this game, and we're probably not going to see it this series because we know Tibbs doesn't necessarily love to do it. But like, we know the Knicks can actually throw a small ball lineup out there now, right? With like Hart at the four, and they just have options. And I like, I think, unless you, if maybe if the Cavs had, if the Cavs had like a literally a Giannis level player or something, you know, a Jokic or Embiid or one of these, you know, truly like elite, elite top five, six, seven, eight guys, I think you can live without the tactical flexibility, because that guy is just going to be better. Um, I don't think Mitchell is at that level, and I do think because he's not at that level, it makes the variance the Knicks have, the options they have, uh, count for a little bit more in this matchup. I just want to say that I feel like a lot of what you focused on was guys outside of their big four, and... To be clear, I think their next gear involves their big four playing a lot better. I think that's their higher gear. And maybe, uh, like, a, a lot of what you said, it sounds like you just don't think they're... You don't think Mitchell and or Garland has it in them mentally to, like, switch up how they play. But if you look at their lineup data, like, Garland is almost clearly more consequential to the team than Mitchell. Like, obviously, Mitchell's a better player, and, like, if you were going to build a team with 
one star and then a bunch of role players. You'd rather have Mitchell. He's the better scorer. He's yada, yada. But with them both on the team, the way to get all four going is to have Garland be more involved. And like, I'd feel so confident in the series if you told me Mitchell wasn't going to change his play style. If he was going to just try to be a hero, like sure, the Cavs win in that outcome sometimes because Mitchell's a really good basketball player and maybe he just goes supernova. Okay, if we lose to that, we lose to that. Like, I'm I'm happy with that. But if if the Cavs come out in game two and like Garland is like, you know, puts he's like, okay, I'm a co-star. Like he sees himself as not, you know, Dwayne Wade 2014. He sees himself as Dwayne Wade 2011, you know, like a true 1B. And because Mitchell's better than Garland at a lot of things, he's not better than him at getting Mobley and Allen involved. Like, go watch Cavs games from last year. Garland's an elite passer, not just a good passer, an elite passer. You see, And he gets Mobley involved, he gets Allen involved, he gets those guys to their spots better than Mitchell does, not even close. And so... I think a big reason that Mobley struggled is because he wasn't like a true outlet. He was a almost like a last resort. It was like, oh, this Mitchell possession isn't working. I got let's let's hop the ball around at the end of the shot clock. Mobley take this this rush shot. If Garland is running the show, Mobley will get the ball in better spots. That is the Cavs' next gear to me. Their next gear is a more the word you use is great egalitarian offense with Garland running the show more and being a true one B. A Cavs box score where they beat the Knicks, it's it's going to have Mitchell with like 27 points on like 18 shots. And then Garland, he's not going to take 25 shots like you said, but he'll take a couple more shots and his usage will be higher. Mobley and Allen will have way more opportunities in better spots. They'll have a much more balanced box score. And then, yes, they have, they have to have Levert and Osman make a couple more threes. That is a necessity. I just trust those two to make threes at a bit higher rate than Okoro. And I think the Cavs are going to realize that. I think the Cavs, like I said, they're going to realize that it doesn't matter what Okoro does as an individual defender if he can't make a shot. And they're going to take a small step back on the individual defense defensive level and and bank on Osman and Levert hitting a few more shots as the fifth guy. So Again, I'm not guaranteeing this. I'm saying that is what their higher gear looks like. And to me, that is a clearly higher gear that the Knicks, that will affect the Knicks. It won't just be, can the Knicks match it? It'll directly impact the strategy that they have to play with. Because the second that the Cavs have a fifth guy that the Knicks have to respect, the second that Garland is more involved and he's spreading the ball around and then, and the Cavs are playing a more balanced offense with more ball movement, all of a sudden the Knicks strategy of overloading, of making sure that one guy isn't scoring all the time, that strategy goes out the window and they have to just totally repackage their defense. It directly impacts them. And yeah, I think that's their higher gear. I just wanted to touch on uh, two of the other things you talked about. The And then I'll let you respond to the first thing I said, but it'll be short. Um, the minutes thing you talked about, Tibbs, the, the rotations, the staggering, like, I don't want to toot my own horn. I have been calling for this all season long. The whole Brunson and Randall playing 12 minutes thing, it drives me fucking bananas. Like, that was always the most maddening thing in the world to me. I hated it so much. It never made sense. And it was so obvious that it they weren't preparing for the playoffs. They were just trying to maximize every inch, ounce of equity in the regular season. And it's like, okay, great, but 
in the playoffs, you're not going to go three to six minutes with both Brunson and Randall on the bench. That's never going to happen. You're not going to do it. You're going to you're going to go crazy, and then one of Brunson or Randall is just going to end up playing like 47 minutes. Which okay, that can happen if one you're LeBron James or two it's like a game seven and you have to do it. It's not a sustainable method throughout us. You know they're trying to win a finals here, so they had to figure out a way to make sure one was on the court Randall, at all times. Maybe Randall's. Grand ankle was just a way to bring the mountain to uh, Muhammad <laughs> to get to. Yeah, him. no, I, I, I think. I mean, maybe we got lucky, but like, you know, uh, <laughs> there's this really funny. Uh, you, you guys know, obviously know uh, Ron Rivera, the the head coach. Yes. Of whatever. Uh, so the the year the year that uh, they made the NFC Championship game, he went for it against the Giants in Week Two on fourth and one. And like Rivera was known as like a really conservative coach who Ron. Yeah. And and after the game, they, they went for it on fourth and one in a spot he never goes for it. After the game, they were like, Why'd you go for it there? You don't usually go for it. And he said he thought it was third down. And somebody changed his Wikipedia page for like an hour to like uh Riverboat Riverboat Ron accidentally going for it on fourth down is the best thing to accidentally happen since Columbus accidentally found America. <laughs> and that's just always stuck with me. And so maybe this is like that for Tibbs, like him him just stumbling into this. Like I hope like Schwinn was talking about, I hope he sticks with it because shorter shifts are always the way to go. Budenholzer is like I can't believe what Budenholzer's become, but he is like the best rotator there is and he doesn't play anybody long shifts. And they all end up playing major minutes, but he's just always getting guys in and out. He's he's just always doing it, and I love seeing that from Tibbs. I agree with you so much. I thought I thought it was a almost perfect game, aside from the RJ fourth quarter stuff. Um, and then just the last thing on quickly, um, I just think this is going to be a tough series for him. I think Cleveland's size is going to really really impact him. And one thing I really liked uh, that he did was I think he really really picked up on like the struggles he was having. And to your point, Schwinn, you know, he had a core on him. RJ had Garland on him. He went to that pistol, like, quickly was running the show. And he was like, okay, RJ, like, let's run some pistol. Like, and he was, like, basically making RJ the guy for those units in the first mm-hmm. half. And, like, yeah, it wasn't, like, overly successful. But I like that version of quickly. Like, you use the word tentative, and I agree that he needs to find a balance. But he's also an incredibly intelligent player. And I just... Part of me feels like he was aware that like RJ just had a better matchup and he was, and he's willing to trust his teammates. And I, I like that about him. I, I like, if you look at RJ's data, he always plays better with quickly. Not a surprise. Well, like it, he just, he, he just always does. Well, it also bore out like, that's why I kind of like, again, I, I don't, I'm not going to criticize Tibbs at all for pulling quickly when he did. I thought it was totally defensible choice. Um, but it's also why I would have liked to see him give him some minutes with Brunson um, in that fourth quarter uh, because when they did play together in the first half, I think that's when the Knicks actually pushed their lead out to like 10 at that point. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was, he was plus eight. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's it, not it, like his bad game killed the team. Like well, it's, it's just, it was, thing. it was a quickly bad game. Well, the shots he took weren't bad shots. They were good shots. Right. Like they're shots that he has to take and his turnover. I thought like, again, I didn't, the transition one where Mitch, I think Mitchell just makes a great play. Like, I think you have to take the chance of getting Randall the ball on the break there. I think you have to take that chance as a player. Um, Mitchell made a great play. It is what it is. The other two were, again, that's like scouting a player and 
understanding his tendencies and to his credit, as I pointed out before, like he understood, okay, these were the tendencies that they're picking up on. And he didn't make those turnovers. He didn't have another turnover in the game after that. Um, But like when I say tentativeness, I don't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking more about like when you do put the ball on the deck, like be like, don't pick up your dribble at the fucking elbow. Like don't, yeah, don't he played. Up, he played yeah. a bad. He played a bad offensive game. Like, yeah, he did. don't like, don't pick okay. up. Your, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to excuse him. No, he no, played no a bad sure. offensive and, game. Yeah, and and I think like it's one of those things where look, Brunson, Brunson famously got benched in the playoffs when he was what twenty four, right against the Clippers. He got benched. Carlisle straight up was like, I I don't think you can play in this series, and he benched him, and like. This is normal. Like this is like this is what the, with the Garland, right? Like I actually just think Garland's going to struggle in this series, and that's okay. Like he sucked ass in the play-in last year too, and I think like Garland, he's going to get some numbers because that's just the nature of what happens if you have a lot of usage, um, and he's going to have a lot of usage in the series. But like I don't think he's going to have a good series, and I don't. I think he struggled against the Knicks throughout this year for a reason, um, and like I'm not. That doesn't and that to me, doesn't really mean anything about his future. Like, I, like y- it's going to happen. You fucking struggle, and then you hopefully learn from it as a player. Like, we saw Trey Young last year suck ass in the playoffs, right? Um, and historically, to be honest, even though he beat the Knicks, right? Like, he didn't play well in that series, or in that entire playoff run, really offensively. He was not particularly good or efficient. So, just part and parcel of, like, development of, a, especially young guards, when they get into these playoff situations, defenses are throwing things at you that you just don't see in the regular season. They're more keenly aware of your tendencies, of where you like to pass the ball, of who you like to pass the ball to, of, like, you know, what shots you like to take. They're more keenly aware of those things, which is why the threshold for being an on-ball creator in the playoffs is so high, right? Like, I mean, forget, like, we've seen Steph Curry struggle with physicality, right? Like, in and he... They, he's talked about it. He had to, you know, after the 2016 finals, he was like, okay, I got to really muscle up. And he went and he's like, you can see the difference in his body. Like he's like 10, 15 pounds stronger now to handle the type of like physicality that you, that he had to deal with. So like even great, great, great players have moments in the playoffs where they struggle and then they learn from it and they move on with their careers. So like, I think quickly is going to struggle uh, as a scorer more than anything. And that's okay. To me, that's like part of development for him as a player. It's the same thing Brunson had to go through. It's the same thing a lot of guys have had to go through. Um, but like, that's actually why I want, I would like to see Tibbs make it very much a point of like, I have to have one of Randall or Brunson on the floor at all times. Um, especially, and I, and I think the Brunson quickly minutes in this series could be really, really good. Um, because what I still like quickly doing, and one of his assists to Julius came off like a second. It was a second side action. Uh, that 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 pocket, that, that pocket yeah. pass he bounced was so nice. Yeah, yeah, and like I think that putting quickly on the second side next to Brunson in this series with how much Cleveland is loading up to Brunson, that I think can really be a nice little avenue for him to to find some offensive footing as a scorer, um, and generally just like helping create offense for the Knicks. Um, and like, you know, aside from that, you know, it's just about making, like, make some open threes. Same thing with Grime. And Grime's got like, the threes he got were all high quality looks. Like, he just. Bank one, dude. That was from fucking. No, but that was, uh, but that was, he was open. He he should take that. I'm good with that shot. That's a good shot for him. Um, like, he got open threes. He just, 
I think he was a little bit jittery. I think he was like, you can kind of tell when he's rushing a shot. I thought he was rushing his jumpers a lot. Um, but like his defense on, on Mitchell, I don't care what Mitchell scored. Like he played good defense on Mitchell. Mitchell made a lot of great shots. You can't do anything about that. Um, I thought, and I, I got to say, like you mentioned Obi, we haven't even talked about, I thought Obi played really, really well. I thought his defense, he had one, he had two bad defensive possessions. He had one off an inbounds pass where he just like didn't find Mobley and Mobley got an easy layup at the rim. Uh, and then he had another, which he ended up getting a leak out dunk on where he dropped, he has this bad habit of when he comes down to tag the roller, he comes inside of, like he gets on the inside of him hey, and yeah, I know, and, and he can't, and then when they kick it out to the corner, he can't recover because his man is already, is in the way. He's getting screened effectively. He's like screening himself. Um, and he gave up a, a corner three to Chetty, but he ended up getting a leak out dunk on it because Chet, Chetty missed the three. But I thought offensively he played really well. Even like, I know he had that UFO three to start the game, but like that was a really good shot. That was a really good pass by RJ too. Um, but that was a good shot. He has to take that shot. He made a corner three in the second half. Um, and I just thought he played like, that's what you need from him. He played only 14 minutes, but he had, what, nine points? Um, I thought he played with energy. I thought he kept the ball moving. It's a different dynamic with him out there versus uh, Randall, which they talked about, you know, Donovan Mitchell talked about that very candidly after the last game that we played against him in the regular season. And I do think that different dynamic is a good changeup against this Cavs team because they are so good in the half court. Um, having a guy that can just generate transition points out of, you know, just because he's going to run the fucking floor, it has value. So um, I was That's just... It's going to be tough for if you're Evan Mobley and you're getting beat up by Randall for 30 minutes. Now you have to adapt and you have this gazelle dude just running down the floor. Like, that's got to take a toll on you physically, right? It's like, um, it, to go back to the football analogy, right? It's like if you have like thunder and lightning running backs, right? Like one is just pounding the defense with physicality and then, then you beat them with speed. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, if you get that from Obi, um, you, you gotta love that. I thought he competed reasonably well in defense too. Um, we'll see if the Cavs try to go at him with, with Mobley a little bit more. Uh, I think, I think to, to Jeff's point as well, I think that, and maybe it is Garland is the key to this, but we know that like Mobley is still a work in progress offensively, but he's got the talent to play a lot better than he did. And that is something that could maybe swing the Cavs way. Um, but Obi continuing to put pressure on him on the other end um, is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be pretty important there too. To um, especially keep keep wearing them down, right? That's the war of attrition. The Knicks have better depth, and um, you know, you want to make their, uh, you want to, you want to make make the Cavs expend maximal physical energy uh, if ever even it out there out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a comparison that might seem like an insult to Evan Mobley, and I just want to. Uh, Add, you know, context. It's, this is not meant to like lower his long-term ceiling or like, I think Evan Mobley right now is Jaron Jackson two years ago. Um, in terms of like, I, I assume you guys watched the Lakers game yesterday. Jaron Jackson was absolutely incredible. Um, and Jaron Jackson was incredible in a way that he couldn't have been two years ago. He, he was so reliant on his three point shot falling and on John ja Morant putting him in good spots. Because he just wasn't breaking, like, like LeBron James is 38 years old, but he shouldn't be able to do that to what he did to LeBron James yesterday. That was so impressive. That, that was just, he was facing up on him. He was backing him down. And when it wasn't LeBron, it was other guys. Anybody but Anthony Davis, he was just, he could do whatever he wanted. And I just don't 
I don't know if Mobley – I think he can get to where Jaron Jackson would do what he was doing yesterday. But right now, he's kind of like plotting, doesn't even have the Jaron Jackson spacing. In my opinion, that's why Garland is so – like I, if they say, okay, Evan Mobley, you're going to start breaking down Julius Randle and Obi Toppin and that's how we're going to beat the Knicks. Good luck, you know. Like, like, well, I'll, I'll gladly sign for the Knicks losing. Well, I that think way. the Knicks are forcing. Something about Randall. I, I think the Knicks want. I think the Knicks are daring them to do that. They're like, right. how many times did we see them willingly concede four on three opportunities to Mobley in that game? And yeah. like, one, it's it's not just Mobley, right? It's also what you talked about: Okoro, Lavert, Osmond, whatever. They're like, we'll we dare you to beat us with those guys. Um, but I think part of it is also like. Mobley is again. He's just not. He's a second-year player. This is fine. He's not supposed to be fully physically developed. Right? He's like, oh wow, like he's not LeBron James who came into the NBA and was like a fucking man already, right? Like it, it's okay. Like he he needs to still fill out, but like that's kind of the reality. Is when he gets into those situations, as good of a passer as he is, one the options that he has to deal with, like that he has to choose from, aren't particularly great. Um, and then two, like he can't punish you as a scorer yet. Like he's not a particularly good mid-range shooter either right now. And and we saw this like the one of the first possessions I think of the third quarter was where they trapped the ball handler. Mobley got the ball Trapped at the free throw line. Yeah, and then he tried to throw a lob to Allen, but Mitch deflected it and you know it went off the backboard. And the Knicks got the, a loose ball, uh, and of course the Knicks did not score in transition because we're not allowed to do that. Um, but like. But, but like, I just think having Mitch and Hartenstein back there in this matchup is huge. Like, those guys were both so good defensively in this game, uh, especially Mitch in the second half really came out. I thought in the first half he was kind of, like, adapting, struggling, whatever you want to call it, a little bit. But in the second half, he was really, really good. And Hartenstein was just – that guy, his turnaround this season is, like, fucking awesome. It, it, like, considering how he started the first two, three months – to how he's been playing now for an extended stretch. Is- and give, give some credit too. He has adapted, right? You see yeah. Hartenstein used more at the, at the high post. Uh, that was really when you were at your lowest points. Like we're not getting the offensive version. It looked like the injury was obviously a big deal. And I'll say that, um, you know, a few people have talked about you know, how much the, ca- the Cavs, I think Benji, um, Benji did a really good thread before the playoffs. He highlighted specifically how aggressive, the Cavs are, right? Mitchell and Garland. We saw they got a lot of steals. I think the Knicks did have to adapt a little bit. Um, but like Hartenstein is the perfect antidote to that. And by the way, it was contagious. Like Randall had a really nice um, um, pass on a back cut to Hart early in the first half. Um, like the Knicks are consciously looking for these overplays. And what we've seen in the past where they just stagnate or like they have to go farther and farther out all the way to half court to get the ball. They're now punishing them, and they have a great passer in Hartenstein uh, who can find them, even in the tightest of windows. He, he had quickly on a really good one, one of the ones that went that led to a quickly turnover. Um, he hit quickly with a nice pocket pass. Um, he's had great chemistry with Hart. Um, even when Deuce plays, like it seems like whenever Hart and Deuce or Hartenstein and Deuce play together, there's always at least one. Um, they always have like one backdoor bucket for Deuce every game. Uh, and that's that's a pretty important thing for this, against this Cavs team too, because they thrive on turnovers, and, and and being aggressive and relying on their help. And one way to beat that is 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 back cuts. So and finding the the cutters. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I just in just yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right in all that. And I just want again, I just want to say, I think Hart's sign has been 
just again, his turnaround was awesome. And he had came up with that offensive rebound late in the game, which was fucking huge. Um, he, he just, he made, he made a lot of just really good plays in this game. Uh, he had, he, I think, who did he block? He blocked somebody that might have been Mobley. He had a, some really good plays in this game. Um, I wanted to, and you've seen, you've yeah. seen his evolution has sort of correlated with, um, like, him coming out of his shell in terms of how he plays like the passes he's making at the top of the key they sort of like tested that out in preseason like remember that pacers game when he hit deuce on all those back cuts and we were like oh this is gonna be we're gonna be the warriors now and then they just never did it and he sucked but um ever since he had an outlet pass in the second half that was really good uh off a rebound i think it got us to rj and then rj just got to give it to obi for a dunk yeah um it's it's been really it's just you're really happy for the guy because when he was struggling he I mean he was getting the Fournier treatment from fans and like you know some of it deservedly so he was not good the first few months of the season and Sims should you're take a twenty you're, was a pretty popular opinion at that point there. yeah and yeah I mean you're a twenty four year old guy who just had the season he did in L A you I mean it has to take real maturity to not be like okay, well, I was playing a certain way in LA and they're not letting me do that now. You know, like, it's, I don't know how even a small part of you doesn't bear that frustration, but he just like took it on himself and was like, I have to be better at what they're asking me to do. And Tibbs is kind of weird like that because the second he became better at what Tibbs was asking him to do, then Tibbs is like, okay, now, now you can start doing a little bit of the stuff you want to do, you know? Like, and we've seen that weirdly with, other players obviously quickly you know like obi you know obi was put in the corner and all he wants to do is move around and the second he you know is shooting well all of a sudden tibbs is like okay you can you can do a little bit of the obi stuff you can leak out some more and uh just really happy for Ardenstein to be playing this well and to be p- clearly playing the way he wants to play now um yeah uh it's yeah, it, it's just cool to see stuff like that. Uh, I, I will say, um, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's a really funny thing that the Cavs have been doing since the end of this game. And I, I will—I don't think the Cavs. This is another reason why I just think the Knicks. I, I feel good about this matchup increasingly. I don't think the Cavs take us that seriously. I think they're kind of—I think they've viewed us as a team not under level. Uh, I think their comments after games during the regular season and their comments leading into this series and their comments after game one almost seem like, oh, well, the Knicks are winning because they're allowed to beat us up. They're allowed to just be physical with us. And, you know, you got Garland talking about, well, we got to punch them first and we got to see how they react and all this shit. And it's like, when you're already talking like this and you're talking, I, I think, I feel like the, if the Knicks, I mean, if the Knicks win game two, obviously they're in a great position, but like, I think the Knicks might be in their head a little bit. You go four and one against a team in five games over the course of a season, it starts getting in your head that maybe, maybe these guys, maybe they got something on us and we got to find different ways to beat them. And I don't think they know how to, how the different ways are. And the Knicks have won all different types of games against them. They've beat them in a shootout. They beat them in a half court grinded out game. They've beaten them without Allen, they've beaten them with Allen, they've beaten them, you know, it's, it's, they've beaten them with fucking Jericho Sims as a starting center in one of the games, 
Like they've beaten them in most every possible way you can. And they've won close games against them. And they've won those close games in very, very different ways. I really think the Knicks are kind of getting in their head. And all the comments after that game that came from Garland, that came from Bickerstaff, that came from Okoro, that was an Allen, and it's all talking about like the physicality and we got to hit first. And I oh, now we know that the refs are going to allow more contact. So now we know how to play and blah, 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 blah. All I know is this. If they want to up the physicality, that's not to their benefit. That is not to their benefit. That is to the Knicks' benefit. Because if they up the physicality and the refs allow them to up the physicality, Julius Randle might, like, fucking rock bottom Evan Mobley by the end of the series. Because it's just not going to end pretty for them. And and as good as Jared Allen is as a player, Mitch is stronger than him. Hartenstein is stronger than him. They are more physical players than him. Um, like, Donovan Mitchell is a physical guard. Jalen Brunson is more physical than him as a scorer. Like, they're, like he's a more physical scorer than Donovan Mitchell is. Darius Garland is not a physical player. He's a good player, and I actually think he's an underrated defender at this point, but he's not a physical player. Um, R.J. Barrett has moments of physicality where he knows how to use his strength. Sometimes he struggles to use it. Uh, Josh Hart is a physical player. Like, the Knicks, Quentin Grimes is a physical player. The Knicks just have more physical players. So if that's what, if the, if the Cavs want to lean into this, this whole thing and try to turn this into some kind of slugfest, be my guest. I like the Knicks' chances if that happens. I, I, I like them more than I already like them. Well, it's also like, you mentioned, you touched on it, like you joked about Randall, but like, he is going to have to keep his composure. Like, if they do start getting chippy, you know, we saw that Donovan Mitchell obviously tried to goad him for whatever reason. Like, on the replay, it didn't even look like Allen. There was any pushing or shoving between him and Allen. It was just a foul and they extricated. Oh, and God. Mitchell was like, such a fucking loser, man. He just wanted to have his little moment, like. Oh, but he, but I think I think it probably work. Probably like we have seen okay. Randall lose, you know, composure, and and it affects his play. Um, and it didn't work, right? So that is something to keep an eye on, like if that's how they want to get physical with Randall. But I guess if you're playing 43 minutes, like that's not really a guy I want to like, you know. I was gonna say bang, but well, um, that's not really a guy I want to go after. Um, in that sense, especially if uh, it had to do it all game. So, yeah, and that, I mean, that should have been a technical on Mitchell. If the, if the roles were reversed, that would have been a technical, no, mm-hmm. no doubt. But um, there was yeah, honestly, I, 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 I know, like in live time, it kind of looked like Randall was shoving him. But if you look at the replay, it's like they're kind of just tied up, and Randall's just getting him off him. It wasn't, and there, yeah. he's walking away. It wasn't like a big deal. There was nothing um, between Allen and yeah Randall at all. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like, and then, you know, Mitchell had to get his little two cents in there, fucking loser. Um, I, I just, I'm sorry, Donovan Mitchell was so annoying throughout this entire game. Like, after every shot, we had to get a close-up of him screaming and wildly gesticulating to the crowd. And then there was that fucking call where he, like, clearly was, saved the ball out of bounds. And yeah, the ref- bounced. I think you posted the still, right? Like I, I don't know. Like, Jeff might have, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. And yeah. Jeff posted the still. And I had I didn't catch it. In real time, I was like, that looks out. Of course, it's ESPN. I, I was watching ESPN. They didn't show the replay. Um, and I think, yeah, like what made it worse, it's, I mean, <clears throat> like, like I love Phoebe Brown, but like, yeah, like they're fawning over this dude. It almost seems like they're rooting for the Cavs. Uh, it's going to be pretty annoying. Um and it was interesting. He really was aggressively trying to rattle Grimes at the end on the free throws. Um, I loved the fact that Bunsen came over and, and like got in the middle. 
uh, you know, shows leadership there. And I love the fact that Grimes has the stones to just say, mm-hmm. I, I make them. Remember when Grimes was kind of a shaky future shooter? Finished the season at 79%. Well, I think Grimes actually said you could see it. So after he hits the first one, you know, Mitchell goes over and tries to like say whatever he's going to say to him to get in his head. And you can, they zoomed in on Grimes at that point as he's like getting the ball to, to shoot the free throw. And he said something like, I think he either said, Oh, I got this one or I already made this one. Basically, like, I like that. I like that he did that and then he cashed it and that was it. That was the game. Um, no, yeah, it wasn't it was, the game. It wasn't the game because he, was right next to Mitchell when he shot the three. Why did he yeah, do that? that was a little bit of... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he was even close to him, but also, like, oh my God. Mi- Mitchell sure. jumped, like, 15 feet in front at him. Like, if they called that, I would have just been like, really? Like, are we for real? Um, but, yeah, like, he, he hit the three. I mean, he hits that free throw. That was awesome. And it's like, those are the kind of moments. Like, it was good. I mean, what makes it to me, like, when I think... I I, I understand what Jeff was saying, where it's like, you can't just say, like, the Knicks didn't get their A-plus performance because neither did the Cavs. I think that's obviously fair. But what I think is, like, gives me a little bit more hope with wh- why I'm a little bit more bullish on the Knicks finding their top gear, I guess, over Cleveland is, like, you. I, I think you could pretty clearly tell IQ and Grimes were feeling... Like, because I know Quickly's played in the playoffs before, but it was a very different thing. He was not as key a piece to the team. Uh, he did not have the responsibility he has now. Grimes obviously has not played in the playoffs. This is the first game. I think you could really see with those two that they were like pressing because they want to make an impression. So when I I I truly and look on the road in general, you're not going to get as much from your supporting pieces as you do, as you do at home. That just like always bears out in the playoffs. And I mean in general in the regular season too, but especially in the playoffs. Um, and for the Knicks to win that game is huge. And it's also, I think those are like, those were like, a, that was like a big moment for Grimes, right? I think that's like a moment that like maybe can help you settle down in a series, in a playoff setting. And it's like, okay, like I got this, this bullshit ass game out of me where I like, I just bricked every open three. I made the two biggest free throws of the game to basically seal the deal. Like, I feel like that's a moment that can kind of relieve some pressure from you. Um, and so I'm just a little bit more bullish on, especially specifically those two guys. Again, we talked about the quickly thing. I think quickly will struggle as a scorer. I still think, you know, as we've talked about thousands of times, like even if he's not scoring well, I think there are ways he can impact the game to help you win the margins. Um, and I thought he actually did plenty of that in this game, even though he didn't have a particularly good game. Um, but it's like, that's why he ends up a plus eight, right? It's like he didn't have a particularly good game, but he's not killing you when he's out there. Um, so like it allows your stars, you need star, you need your stars to play like stars. And like I tweeted that. Um, the morning of game six or game one, sorry, but like we can sit here and talk about the X's and O's and quickly and Grimes and fucking Hartenstein and all these guys. But at the end of the day, like if Julius Randle played like he did in that Hawk series, we're not winning this series. Like if Brunson plays like a pumpkin, we're not winning this series. You need those two guys very specifically to play like your two best players. And again, I, Brunson did, and I, I know the box score for Randall wasn't pretty. I thought Randall was like really good in this game. I can't say it enough. I thought he was really good. I thought he made several like did he make some poor decisions at times? Sure. But he didn't let his poor decisions completely sink him. 
and that's what happened in that Hawk series. Like missed shots and bad early decisions in games would totally sink him. I thought his defensive effort was good, if sometimes a little bit too aggressive when he was out on uh, trapping ball <laughs> handlers. But that, like that double that double on Garland was oof. <laughs> or excuse but, me, off of Gar off. The, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Every yeah. Knicks fan did the Ricky. Yeah, <laughs> but it was like I, I just thought he played so. Like he was so competitive, and actually, I thought some of the passes he made, like that one, that dump off he had to Hart in transition, I thought that was such a mature play from him. That was such an under control play where it would have been easy for him to try and force something at the rim, and instead he drew the defenders to him, got them in the air, and it that dump off to Hart was like an easy layup for him. It was basically an uncontested layup at the rim, um, and he had that that dish he had to Mitch on the corner roll was like, oh my god, that might have been the best pass he's made. I don't even know. That was like. That was such a smart play. It was like such patient. Yeah, he waited for the defense to commit and set him up. Well, he he his pump fake was beautiful because he kept his toe on the ground, got Mobley completely up in the air. So then he committed Allen, and then he feeds Mitchell on the roll. I mean, that was such a good play. Um, I just I just thought he played so well uh, on both ends. And like again, I know the shooting wasn't great. And sure, some of the shots maybe you can live without, but like you you sometimes some like. I mentioned this before, like you can't, especially in the playoffs, I feel this way. Like sometimes you need your best player to just be willing to have a bad shooting game and like live with the consequences. And I didn't think, I didn't, it didn't feel to me like Randall was forcing stuff. You know, like there was like maybe, there was one possession in the fourth quarter, I remember, because Brunson had gotten a switch with Mitchell on him. And Randall was like, I, I don't care. I have Evan Mobley on me. I'm going to the rim here. Uh, he ended up missing like a turnaround. Brunson had missed a shot or two in a row, and yeah. Randall was like, "Okay, maybe it's my turn." You know, and right. it was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I don't know, but he, I mean, look, he, it wasn't a bad shot, but it was like, I'd rather give it to Brunson on Mitchell. But it's like, if that's his bad moment of the game or bad, you know, shot selection down the stretch, that we're we're in good hands. So I don't know what, like, I know the injury itself obviously didn't look great at the time. I do, and what one of my main concerns, which I talked about, wasn't so much like you know, uh, his output at the time, it was more like, I thought he was really starting to show some of those concerning composure issues that we've seen from him at his worst moments when he, at that time he got hurt. I mean, that Miami game, we've all talked about it. That was like a stunningly awful performance by him until he got hurt. Um, and I feel like it didn't look, it didn't look anything like that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I actually talked about this with, uh, when we had had Jake Fisher on a strike and roll a couple weeks ago, I asked him, you know, like, I was asking him about, like, that whole thing that happened with Quickly and Randall during that Orlando game. And he mentioned that, like, you know, when he saw Randall during the All-Star break, Randall was, like, super cheery and, like, lighthearted. And he was, you know, very relaxed. But that he had heard, you know, like, you know, maybe it was some of the tension of the season was potentially getting to him. And he had said he had talked to people around the league and, like, you know, with how tight the standings were all season, it was, like, every night meant something right like you didn't have a freebie night and i really feel like maybe getting that two weeks off where he didn't play he wasn't involved obviously on the court maybe that helped him get like a mental reset that benefits him going into the playoffs because the guy we saw in that game one for again forget the percentages i don't care what percentages guys are shooting in the series that's just not how i'm going to determine who played well and who didn't forget his percentages he looked so much like there, his you know, like you mentioned, Stacey, when Mitchell tried to get under his skin, he didn't respond. You know, that's that's what you want to see. His composure 
was really good in this game. He at no point did it feel like the moment was getting too big for him or he was stressing or he was feeling the pressure. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, like, again, I, I know I've mentioned a few times, but he, he was so good in this game and he deserves a lot of credit for the Knicks winning. I mean, that re- offensive rebound, obviously at the end is, that's probably the play of the game, right? So. Yeah. And you're, you're clearly not being like results oriented. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people are like, look at two very similar games. And it's like, if the team lost, it's like, oh, that was a terrible performance. But if the team won, it's like, oh, well actually, but in this case, I, I don't think you or we are being like, oh, well, the Knicks won, so let's view it half uh, glass half full. He just clearly impacted winning. He just did. Like, And one of the ways you know that is because aside from a shot or two, every single shot he took was in the flow of the offense. He it, I, there, was, there was not a single, oh, no, Randall, don't take that shot. Maybe one of the baseline fadeaways that went in was like a, oh, God, Randall, don't take that, but... You know, I digress. I think he took a lot of good shots. I think he made a lot of good passes. I think the effort was mostly there. If anything, the effort was too much there and directed in the, the wrong place, like on that double off of Garland. He he. But you'd rather have that than the guy we saw in Miami who was just, oh, there's Martin in the corner. I'll just stand in the paint. You know, like, and he the, the guy who, like, quickly put up, his best individual defensive game. And a huge part of that was him recognizing that Randall basically wasn't there and quickly was guarding two guys at once, pretty much at all times. Um, that, that Randall was not there. He was, he was just excellent um, in terms of impacting winning and playing within the flow of the offense um, and just the flow of the game. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I thought Randall played a really good game. And I think if he keeps that energy, the shots will start falling and, and the games will be even better. A reminder, the playoffs are not about good efficiency stats, graphs and stat lines that get RTs. It's about getting tough buckets in the half court and playing through. Is that a ball out stop tweet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think in this series in particular, yeah, it, to your point, efficiency is it's neither team is going to be particularly efficient. Uh, you know, even, even Mitchell, as you mentioned, it took them 30 shots to get where he did. Uh, but I, I, that said, like, Randall actually, the first half, he shot the ball really well. I wonder how much of it just was fatigue. Like, it didn't seem like he had trouble getting to his spots. Um, <clears throat> when Brunson's on the floor, they're just not going to double him as aggressively. The first half, he looked, I mean, he had Dean Wade on him. And, like, did they double game? Brunson or Randall, like, at all in this game? It really didn't feel like they did. They, I mean, they tried trapping Brunson a few yeah. times, but um, I mean, if you count that, um, they didn't really double Randall. Um, because I, I think that they they trust Mobley and, and like and one on one I think I, I get it um, like even like I think Randall is is effective against Mobley but even then if you're backing him down from like a, a farther away even I'm not like in love with that being the go to approach for the Knicks um, but like you know they like he had Dean Wade on him to contest somebody on Twitter was like well he makes um you know Randall made some tough contested jumper so I was like they weren't really contests like if it's Dean Wade there Randall is six eight. He's, he shoots the ball from very high release, and he's like he is going to knock it down on those guys. Like that is you can't say that Randall is hitting tough shots. This ain't twenty twenty. This ain't last year's Randall. It ain't even twenty 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 one Randall. Um, you know he's he, what he's doing is taking shots in rhythm, um, and and he's he's getting those shots right now. And, and that that's the biggest difference between here and Atlanta, where a lot of his, his shots that he like we say that you know he just started missing shots he was making, but the reality is he wasn't ever in a comfortable spot. 
know, there are guys up on his legs. He's trying, he's taking shots off balance. And, you know, especially in the first half, he just, he had, didn't have much trouble getting those. And he's going to keep getting open looks because Brunson is going to be priority number one. I think that the Cavs made it clear. Um, and if he can make them pay both from outside, he pulls Mobley out of the paint. Um, he can attack closeouts, his decision make. I mean, look at the decision making, not just short roll, right? But like in those situations where you're in the paint and there's help coming and you have to read. You know, a year ago, if you told me that he was doing a better job of that than Evan Mobley, I might have been surprised. And yesterday you saw, like, Mobley actually, I, I don't want to pick on him. He made some nice passes. I want to pick on him. <laughs> he had that really good, he had that nasty dunk early on, on Mitch, which I was like, oh, I think this guy might be one of those games. <clears throat> um, the Randall's decision making was superior. And, you know, if he wins that matchup, which he did on, he did yesterday, uh, on Saturday, and, and I think he's capable of winning it, that goes a long way for the Knicks. Um, so yeah. Stacy, yeah, I mean, did you? Yeah, Stacy, did you? Uh, did you see random? Random aside, thirty second interlude here. This is uh, Jalen Hurts. Want. Yeah, Stacy, did you see the Schefter bomb? No, your boy Jalen Hurts got five years, two hundred and fifty mil for Hurts extension. One eighty guaranteed, one ten at signing. We oh, we won, Stacy. We won the Jalen Hurts <laughs> debate. We, we we that that is over. We won. Shout out Jeff. Jeff was Jeff. I you won that. I mean, I'm obviously happy, but um. He, uh, he, Jeff was was a much a believer in, in Hearts much earlier than I was, so deserves the deserves the recognition of ball nowhere there. Yeah, that's great. We're not going to talk anymore about <laughs> Philly fucking sports on this podcast. Um, all right, uh, I did want to say we haven't even talked about these two guys at all, and I do think they're worth talking about. Um, I thought RJ had a really good passing game, and I mean, like. Like he, he he had this behind the back pass to Randall in the fourth quarter for an open three. That I mean, Randall didn't cash it, but it was a really really good pass. I talked about the one he made to Obi in for a corner three, which didn't cash either. But like I thought that was a really good pass. He had a few. I mean, he had one to Hart in the fourth quarter that was kind of like it was like a bailout pass, but it was a good pass. It was the right pass. Hart got to the rim. He had a floater on off of it. But like again, I don't. I thought his half-court defense was fine. I don't think it was great. I don't think it was spectacular, but it was fine. I don't think it was bad at all. It was definitely better than we had seen from him in the regular season. If you want to, if you're wondering why he was a minus 13, though, in this game, it's not because he went 2 for 12 or whatever the fuck he was from the field. Like I said, I don't give a shit what he shot from the field. I didn't think... I thought he took, like... There were two shots he took that were bad. He had this terrible floater. Actually, three. One of them went in, though, so it's okay. He took, a, he took two really bad floaters. One of them went in, one of them did it. But the one he made, I was going to scream. And then I was oh like, my God. Yeah. It was such a bad shot. But then, and then he made, and he took a really bad three. The second three he took uh, was like he came off a pick and tried to shoot it over Allen. And I'm just like, okay, I, I don't, that's not you. That's not your shot. You're not Jalen Brunson. Let's, let's keep him moving here. Um, but wasn't like, I don't, get, what's up? Wasn't that off the catch? I don't think so. If it was, he was definitely moving a little bit. That was not. A good shot. It was like, it it was, it was not a shot you needed. Let's put it that way. It was very early in the clock. I think they could have done without that, mm-hmm. especially after he had bricked his uh, three on the previous possession. Um, but like, I don't think his shot. I just I, I, before before you get into other stuff. I just if he's not going to take open threes, he's not going to play. Like, but that wasn't an open I, three. There were actually open. I, threes I think it, I, I think I think it was, man. I think like I don't know. No, there, I, there, there, were, there were open threes. He like legit. Are you guys sure you're talking about the same player? 
the second it was the second shot he took of the game. Second yeah, the, I, I know. I know the three he's talking about. It was on the right, the right wing yeah, above right the wing. break, and yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just I know not a shot I want. I just don't like that shot for him that early in the clock, especially. Um, but he actually turned down threes later in the game that were much cleaner anyway, even if we disagree on this one, that he needed to take. Um, and that's its own thing. But again, I didn't think his shot selection overall was that bad. But like, you know, he misses that layup at the rim because he's trying to go around Garland instead of through him. And it's like he he's, he gets stripped on the break by Donovan Mitchell because everybody and their mom and Donovan Mitchell, everybody knew that he was never passing it to Josh Hart on that play. It was the worst, most telegraphed ball fake ever. Like, he's, like, looking at Hart, and not a single soul believed he was ever going to pass it to Josh Hart. Mitchell strips him, goes off RJ's leg, goes out of bounds. Um, he had another turnover at some point that was really annoying to me. I forget what exactly it was. It was in transition also. Uh, I, I mean, he's just... the And his transition defense, I could clip like three or four or five plays in the first half where he's in the corner, the Knicks miss a shot and Mitchell just totally burns him the other way completely. And and it's not like RJ's like if Mitchell's just, he's faster. So if Mitchell just beats him down the floor, but RJ's trying really hard to get there, I'm fine with that. This is like RJ's like walking down the floor and watching Mitchell bust a gut out of him. And then don't even, and then there were those two loose ball plays early in the game that were infuriating. I could not, I couldn't believe that. There was the one where Mitchell literally grabbed it and like dove on the ground and got it in front of him. And RJ's like hunched over trying to grab it. And then there was another one where Mitchell got it. I think, you know, got on the ground, got it ahead of RJ, which he never should have. Uh, I think he, he passed it. I don't remember if he passed it ahead or whatever, but like you just see Mitchell sprinting on the floor and RJ's just kind of like slowly jogging back. Uh, Cleveland scored on it to go up 17-15, and then Tibbs immediately called a timeout. But it's like, those are the plays to me. Like, if you wonder why he was a minus 13 in this game, it's just those little, little plays. That's it. it it's not any of the... To me, like, was the pick-and-roll stuff, and it, was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. But, like, I'm not asking RJ to be perfect. I'm just asking him to give me a solid effort. And I thought in the half court, his defense was a solid effort. Like, was again, was it perfect? No, but I was satisfied. Especially on Garland. Yeah, I thought his effort was there. I'm, I'm cool with that. And I thought he was locked in in that sense. But, like, the those moments in transition are just so... Those are big swings in a game, a four-point game. You know, you're talking about two opportunities. He should have finished at the rim, right? He got bailed down one because I think... Um, well, he had a missed dunk, too, in transition on the LU, but that was a little bit of a tough finish. Wasn't that uh, Mitch? No, that... that- no. Oh my god. That play is just like Oh, you're talking about the art one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, he went up for an alley oop and he couldn't catch it. Yeah. Look, that play, like if he we Schwinn, you've said it multiple times. I need the Woj bomb of like he's getting some sort of surgery. Yeah. Because like we just if he's playing through something right now, even if it's just like him admitting, like, man, I need to like get my burst. We just, we need to see a different looking RJ next season. And like, I think that is like, I'm almost grading him on a curve because I don't know from a process standpoint how much better it can get than game one. Like, I mean, the, yeah, pa- the passing, yeah, the passing was really, really good. I, I, even I defensively, to, even defensively. Yeah, I thought the screen navigation was better than I've seen it. Yeah, like, 100%. Like, he was screen navigation was good. And, and he is in the regular season. Literally the last guy on the team I would want playing that weak side help role because he's just so slow. 
he did a he did a good job of that. His closeouts were sound, the technique was sound, and he was working his ass off to show and recover. That is impactful. Um that I just from a process standpoint, I don't know how much better it can get from RJ because I thought he was clearly locked in. The the two those weren't 50-50 balls. Those no, were those two 70-30 balls. RJ needed to get those balls and Mitchell gave three times the effort that RJ did. But aside from those two plays, and, okay, maybe a shot or two didn't like. I thought RJ, from the way he played, he, he played a good game. But here's the thing. Uh, the guy, uh, XJ, the guy who works for Nick's Film School, and he's just – he's really smart. I was talking to him, about, chatting with him a little bit about it. He's so in playoff game, in, in, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In, in playoff games, process can only get you so far. At a certain point – and, and this applies to quickly too. Applies who to is all. like yeah. who is quick quick quickly? Yeah, it applies to everyone. But quickly is like the king of process. Like we talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's hard for quickly to negatively impact. Indeed. Excuse me. I thought that was a uh, <laughs> Um It's hard for quickly to have a bad game because he's just always doing the right thing. So like even in a game when he goes zero for five or like one for nine. But the thing is, is that that's more of like in a macro sense, like. Oh, quickly went one for nine. Okay, well, we can still feel good about him because we like how he You can't play guys through slump in the playoffs. This is a seven-game series. And that's why I loved the way Tibbs treated quickly. Okay, like, yeah, you're playing fine, a few bad turnovers, but that doesn't matter. You clearly don't have it tonight. I'm shortening the leash. Yeah, and I think, and I don't think it was like, I'm not even concerned. It's not like he's not going to play quickly next game. So I'm not like, that's why I was totally fine with that. I'm like, yeah, okay, quickly doesn't have it tonight. Cool, move on. Let's go. Like, yep. we're trying to that, win this game. <laughs> that rebound he and, got and on Jared Allen was fucking special. Though. Yeah, it was. That was a good rebound. That was cool. Um, the thing is that... Just really, quick, full, really, really funny thing about that we play. Regular season, we have a full regular season of... The Knicks were literally 11 points better per 100 when RJ was on the bench than when he played. And they were minus 13 in this game when he played, plus 17 when he sat. We won the game in the minutes RJ sat. And so I'm bullish on RJ playing well in game two because of the process he played in played with in game one. That's why I'm choosing to remain optimistic, but make no no mistake about it. He can't keep playing 31 minutes. If the absolute output keeps looking like this and it just can't can't happen. And, and to your point, like, you know, the same thing we've been saying about Okoro and Levert and Osman, where it's like the Knicks aren't going to respect them. So that kind of mucks up the Cavs' offense. But if they hit shots, maybe that changes, obviously, how the Knicks have to defend, and that opens things up, blah, blah, blah. Look at how, again, I mentioned this earlier, but like, look at how the Cavs were defending RJ. When he was off the ball, like his man, I'm telling you, you go back and watch some of this stuff, Like his man is not anywhere near him. He's not worried about him. He's like in the paint trying to cut off a Brunson dry. He's in the paint helping on Julius. He's in the paint doing anything but worrying about RJ Barrett. And RJ cashed in that one three uh, above the break in the second half, but like he airballed a wide open corner three, and his two or three three point misses in the first half, they weren't even close. Like they were not close, and they were not really heavily contested either. Which is like kind of the point is he for him, but more so than quickly or Grimes to me. And I'll and I'll and this is why, like I think quickly and Grimes are more capable of playing still even in the, even in a playoff scenario. 
still being worth playing, even if they're not necessarily shooting well, because teams will always treat them like they're shooting well. They will always defend them like they're good shooters. Teams are right now at this, at, at least like, this is not the 40% RJ we saw a couple years ago where teams were really like worried about the three ball. He's not, he's been basically the worst high volume three point shooter in the NBA for like two or three months now. They're not defending him off the ball. They're like, he's basically getting like almost like Andre Roberson type of treatment at this point. Like, it's like literally a guy teams are just like, okay, beat us from out there. Um, so while like I agree, and I agree with you, I thought his overall process was a lot better than what we had seen in the regular season. But my problem with him is always like the those margin plays are really the ones that burn you. And like you can't fuck up that many possessions in transition. You cannot fuck up that many possessions in defensive transition. Like those are so important in the playoffs, especially in, it's a, it was a four point game. So this, this game could have tilted on those margins. It didn't, obviously, thankfully. And I'm not going to, I don't want to kill RJ either because I do agree with you. Like some of the, a lot of the process in this game on both ends was encouraging from what we had seen throughout the regular season. But it's like, it's, it makes it even more frustrating where it's like, I can point to those things and be like, these were genuinely good things that RJ provided. But then at the same time, I'm like, these other things that you still fucked up really like negatively bring down, they bring down your performance level so much. Uh, and they're so, they feel like they're, they should be so easily correctable. You know, like, like it shouldn't be hard to score on a two on one fast break. It shouldn't be hard to connect in an alley oop at the rim. It shouldn't be hard to uh, just run back and transition as fast as you can. These aren't like super hard things. And if you want to see the antithesis of like, what I mean about that stuff. Like I don't like, I didn't even know Josh Hart had 17 and 10 because I was watching the game out and I was not following the box score at all. And I, I want to transition Hart because we haven't even talked about Josh I Hart. We saw three of those at least. Yeah. I mean, Josh Hart was fucking nails in this game. He hit probably the biggest three of the game on a possession that was going absolutely nowhere. Uh, his hustle on the glass, offensive glass, how many cheap buckets did he get? Three or four. Uh, his work in transition was phenomenal. He he was so fucking. I mean, good. that missed alley oop. He saved it by yeah. getting the rebound, right? Yeah, he got the, the rebound, rebound and he finished it. And it's like he was just so good in this game. And it's it's not because he made a three or because he did. It's because he wins all of those margins. Every single margin in transition, Hart will win you. He will get back in transition defense. He will go get the defensive rebound, a contested defensive rebound. Well, I mean, that play where he saved the ball off of Mobley to win possession late in the game. Fucking fantastic. Like he just makes all these type of winning plays. And honestly, that's what separated him from all those guys in that game. RJ, IQ, Grimes, not necessarily that all of them were failing to make, get back in transition or get forward in transition or whatever. But like he was able to complete all those plays and he was just so fucking good. And it's, I've like, like it's funny that this is his playoff debut because when we traded for him, I was like, Josh Hart is like the most playoff player. Like he's like the most, I just, I don't like, even though teams are helping off of him from three, I just totally trust him. Like I, even when he makes stupid decisions where he's like, I'm going to pump fake on this open three and drive into the lane into like 15 different people. And somehow I'll like make some bullshit ass fadeaway mid range jumper or something. But like, he's just, 
you can tell the moment isn't too big for him. He doesn't even I don't even, he doesn't even feel the moment. It, it, he's just playing. Uh he was awesome. I think he's a quintessential Swiss Army knife, right? Like he oh, had yeah, a flo- yeah. I, I don't remember him taking too many floaters here. He had a really nice floater yesterday. Yep. Um I I, I do want to talk about Hart. Something you mentioned I kind of just wanted to ask about. Uh, I don't know if you saw it a couple months ago or it was recent. Draymond Green was giving an interview. I believe they had just played um, the Clippers, or they had played Westbrook's team, and he was talking about, you know, they they had basically just given Westbrook treatment at the three point line where we're not going to guard you. And he was talking about how like that can maybe even make it more difficult because when you're just when the team is telling you, go ahead and shoot, that can get in your head. Do you think that's other with Harrison goal? Barnes in the finals in 2016? Yeah, so do you think maybe that's not just with, with RJ, but even guys like like Okoro, especially in the playoffs yes. when it uh, you so I mean I think that's the, that was an interesting point. Devin wanted to ask about that. Um, hundred percent because because it's it's like all those possessions, you know that when that ball comes to you, that's the end point of the possession, and the result of whether it's a, a success or a failure is down to you, and like you know, Clay Thompson, if you put him in that position. It wouldn't matter if he was 0 for 15. He would never doubt himself. But, like, <laughs> Isaac Okoro is not Clay Thompson. R.J. Barrett's not Clay Thompson. Uh, they don't necessarily, and they for, for good reason, they don't have the same confidence in a three ball that a Clay Thompson will. But, like, it, I, I 100% agree. I think there is, like, a psychological element, element to it, and I do think that makes it very hard at times to not just have confidence, like, to have confidence in, in making that shot, even if you... Even if he were like a, like I think Harrison Barnes that year from three in the twenty sixteen finals, I think he was like a forty percent three point shooter that year. And even for him, it's like you know when you know that you're the guy that the other team is like, we'll we want you to beat us. We're daring you to beat us. That's hard. I think that's really really hard. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> I don't think I can do better than Trinton. Well, so I, 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 think, I agree. I agree with you. And I remember people were killing Milwaukee in Game 7 last year against Boston because their entire strategy was just like, we're just not going to defend Grant Williams. We'll let Grant Williams beat us. And people killed them for that. But I was like, given how Tatum... Tatum had killed them in Game 6. Absolutely roasted them in that Game 6. That's probably the best game of his career. Um, and I think Brown had played well in that game too. And it's like, if you're a bet... It, like, I would much rather do what they did. Where they were just like, if Grant Williams beats us in Game 7, so be it. We'll take that shot. Like I think that's okay. They they made a bet and they lost it. But we've seen how many times have we seen that work? We saw that. I mean, Golden State won. They turned around that series against Memphis in 2015, right? Where they were just like, okay, Tony Allen's out here. Cool. We're not defending him. Have fun. So we've seen that work, obviously, before. Um, I, I I I'm with you. I, I'm sure. I mean, Draymond Draymond knows this himself. He's one of those guys left wide open, so he knows it. He knows it works. Yeah, um, getting getting back to Hart though, um, you know, I um, it's um, you know he's he's really reminds you of like he seems like a '90s Nick, um, you know, like to the extent that this team like kind of has a lot of that physicality, he like fits right in, um, and he just like he can give like he can get a floater when you need it, he just gets you whatever you need when you need it, and that's why like like if I was a cast fan, I'd be like he had 17 and 10, and he had a crazy step back. Come on, guys, you think that's replicable? But like it was seventeen on eleven shots, maybe a little bit higher output. But like he takes very few shots. He's very efficient with them because he knows what he can make. 
Uh, and he just plugs in the gaps he needed. Didn't, you know, on Saturday, they needed some scoring. Uh, they needed that, that gap to be plugged. I also think like his on-ball defense has actually been better than I expected. Um, there's the game against Denver. Um, I remember, uh, I remember specifically that game, I'm not calling out Ariel. I think I probably had the same sentiment, but Ariel had earlier said, you know, I don't know if I want Hart on ball and Murray, um, you know, to, to close the game, right? And Hart locked up Jamal Murray and, and, and Ariel afterwards said, yeah, like he, he, he showed out. Um, and, and, and so I think that, I think that he had some really good possessions on, on Garland yesterday and, and Mitchell. Um, and so like it's, it's been everything you could have hoped for and more. I think, um, you know, in the, in, uh, let's just say my excitement, um, over the Knicks win, I did text someone that, uh, this was the best trade the Knicks had made since Earl Monroe. Uh, and I was correct. <laughs> you know, there's Derek Harper, there's Bernard King, but, um, uh, but let's just say I, um, you know, I, I was, uh, I was, I was feeling pretty good. Um, but, um, but yeah, and, and I think that that's absolutely, that is the, that is the, that is exactly what the Cavs don't have is like a guy who can, who can, even if it's, forget about making open threes, right? You need Beyond, an irrational confidence guy. I mean, I don't even know if that's it with Hart though, because I think he was not looking to take that. Step. In fact, that step back came because he pump faked out of what I thought was a decent look. I would have rather he just took that original catch and shoot. Um, and then he and, looked at the clock and he was like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> Got to do it myself. Um, and um, so I, I think that he's like, like a guy like Okoro, for example, isn't impacting the glass. He gives you a point of attack defense. He's not really giving them much else. Um, you know, Chetty is, is a solid offensive player. I think he's actually a pretty good passer. Um, you know, they want to do some more connective stuff. You know, I think he might be a guy, but Okora's is like, really good at sticking his face in front of Julius Randle's elbow. He's <laughs> yeah. really good at that. Um, but they, they don't, and and that that kind of gets to the other point I was making. Like, um, you know, so there was. Sorry to bring him up. I know Knicks fans are tired of hearing about him, but Stephen A was on. But I think was you know, and was talking, still complaining about why didn't Donovan Mitchell should be a Nick. And Wilbon and Rose had both said you wouldn't be able to pair him with Brunson. You, you, this wouldn't have worked out, right? And and but they were talking about after the game. And Rose flat out said it. And he, this was like this one of the few times I've ever seen someone just completely silence Stephen. Right? He said you won that game with your depth, right? Yeah. And you have that depth, and you still have all the picks. And Stephen A was like, yeah. And then he couldn't even whine about Mitchell anymore, which I'm sure he used Jalen. Oh, he'll, he'll find a. Don't worry, he'll find a way. But, what is but it like Hart, a Jurassic Park? Life finds a way. <laughs> Stephen A finds a way. Um, and so, like, there might be some people who say, "Well, you still could have made the heart trade, right?" Um, they would have had a lot of picks tied up. I don't think it would have been as smooth. They probably would have had to give up all the protected picks. So, um, you know, and you know, if, if I'm wrong on that, I guess they think we could have made the heart trade even, you know, if we made that Mitchell trade, fine. But these are the kinds of moves that the Knicks have made, and this is kind of it's not a. This is I hate. And people are making this a referendum on on the the the, the, the trade, right? Where, you know, were the Cavs right to do it? I, I don't know if it was you tweeted this, Jeff, or someone someone tweeted it on Twitter. It was like, if your your opinion should not, whether you are against or for the Mitchell trade, that should not be affected by this series. Period. Um, unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. But um, but you know, it's it is kind of like you know, we we say in the playoffs, it's you even said this on the spot, right? The star, it's how well your stars play. Your stars will carry you, right? Top end talent matters. You don't even play the bench that much. Depth can only get you so far in the playoffs. And um, you know, it is kind of the Knicks are kind of 
making a little bit of a counterpoint that depth and, you know, kind of the energy that they bring and having a balanced roster where you have, you know, you don't really have a weak link. I mean, it, you if RJ Barrett is the worst player in our rotation, that's a good thing. That means we have a really fucking good rotation. If they want to let him shoot from three, I think that's, I, I have more confidence in RJ than someone like Okoro to, to fix that. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think, I think we've seen that even like last year. That was, I, I know that, I know me and you disagree a bit on like where does Jason Tatum rank in the grand scheme of the NBA currently, but like, I don't think Tatum is like this super duper star who's going to score 37 a game and carry you for a whole series like that. Like, can he have games like that? Of course. But I don't think that's, that's what you want from him or should expect from him to do like he's not a he's not in that caliber of player and honestly there are very very few players that are in that caliber i think like Kawhi, like we saw it last night Kawhi is one Kawhi is one of those guys who can carry your offense and i know russell westbrook was awesome in that game he, like he was like and i mean that his i tweeted this yesterday but his compete level down the stretch of that game i saw somebody like cute like responded to that and was like it's like oh but like he was three of 19 i'm like again who gives a fuck don't talk to me about his percentages when he's out here getting like he he got like four extra possessions for them down the stretch of the game. That last save of Booker yeah. when Booker started and he complaining to the rest. Blocks, he blocked Booker and then saved the fucking possession off of him. I mean, he was incredible. I mean, he hits the two clutch free throws. I mean, the guy was incredible yesterday. But to bring it back, like, I think you, like, why I think that trade was still worth it for Cleveland is because I do think long term Mobley is going to elevate to a level where if you pair him with somebody like Mitchell, that's probably a contender. Why I didn't think it was worth it for the Knicks is as good as, like, I, like I love Emmanuel quickly. I love Quentin Grimes. I still think R.J. Barrett can be a really good player. Um, like, I, I like these guys, and I like, you know, uh, but, like, if you take those guys out and then you pair him with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, it's like, does that really make you think you're a contender? To me, it doesn't. And... Like if you told it's me a that version we, of this Cavs team with worse defense, yeah, That's and I see what it is, right? And Absolutely. so to me, it's just like I think if you go all in for a guy, you need to have either better talent in place on your roster, or that guy that you're going all in for is worth that type of choice. Because if you don't, you've killed your depth, and you've killed your ability to add quality depth around this whatever is left over. Um, and you've seen that with a lot of teams, like, and that's actually kind of why I think it's taken. I mean, on top of the Clippers just having shitty injury situations yeah. with Kawhi and PG, like it took them a while to replenish the type of depth that I think you need after making the moves. I mean, you give up Shea Gilders Alexander uh, and a boatload of picks for <laughs> Paul George, like it's going to hurt a little bit. But um, I mean, we've seen this with the Lakers, right? The Lakers killed their depth after the title run. And now is the first time since then where they actually have quality pieces, right? They got Austin Reeves, they've, and then the trade they made, right? They got Vanderbilt, D'Lo, and Beasley. And I'm not a huge Beasley fan, but, like, he's a functional player, you know? And so, like, you got three functional rotation players. And got paid off the floor on any end. Right, and it's... That's, that's, and, which was something the Lakers desperately lacked. I think Grant just right. talked a lot even, about Even, that. like, they got Hachimura, right? Who, again, is not a great piece, but, like... You put him next to AD and LeBron, all of a sudden he's protected a little bit defensively. You're not asking him to do a shit ton offensively. You get more value out of it. So, like, you see the value. I think you're seeing the value of depth. I think, and you're going to continue to see it in these playoffs. And I think it's, I don't think this is like a one year blip. I think this is a trend in the NBA. There is 
somebody put this message put this message in our discord a few weeks ago when we were talking about this and it's kind of like what i've been trying to articulate for a while but like the difference now the league has so much talent now it has so much talent across the board up and down the up and down the league the difference between the best player in the league and like your average star compared to your average high-end rotation player, that gap is not what it used to be. It's a smaller gap than it used to be. And your gap from good rotation player to good starter and all these, like there's just so much talent that if you don't have depth and you sacrifice depth to bring in star talent, it might not result in the in in, in the kind of ceiling or upside or whatever, however you want to phrase it, that we've seen before. You know, like the Celtics did that KG trade and they gave up a lot of pieces. They gave up depth. They gave up picks, whatever. But every, but it was worth it because it's like at that time, the common consensus was you get three superstars, you know, it, it should work out. You'll figure it out. That was the consensus, right? When my, Miami sacrificed most of their depth. when they put, even, even both of those teams, right? The Celtics only won one title. Yeah. The, the Heat, only, the, they not won. They won two, right? <laughs> um, so like... It, not even, three, though. <laughs> not three or four or five and, and or six need, or seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you need those homegrown pieces. I think the parity point is good. Um, but I also, like, I'm also kind of interested in this, right? We had, um, we had John Schmuck on before, um, before the series started and he mentioned, you know, he still thinks the Knicks need another wing scorer. I think part of what I'm looking at in this series is, you know, we know that maybe, maybe you need like, like, can Brunson be your best offensive player and, and you be a title team? If you believe that, then I don't think you need to make a star trade. If you get that star, but like you just need like a great defensive wing, um, you you need to be able to surround him with as many high level defenders and three point shooters as possible. If you believe he like, and and Schmalk's point, and, and he could be right about this, is in the playoffs he thinks against you know certain physical wings, Brunson might struggle a little bit to get his own shot. But I'm curious what you guys think because. Just having seen, I mean, since he's, since the new year, since all-star break, whatever time period you want to look, he has played at, like, at least on offense at, like, close to an MVP level, right? I don't think, I think Reddick himself had said, you know, the only guy who's really been playing better than, than Jalen Brunson is Damian Lillard, maybe. Um, so I'm curious what you guys think, like, because I've, I've, you know, I've brought this up a bunch of times on the pod, um, you know, like, you, like they all people and and I, I also had this I said this I think in the Discord but like you know a, a big reason why this whole you know you can't win if your your star player is less than six feet three right um step like the Warriors did it um and and the 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 eighties Pistons right but we don't usually look at those what's interesting is one Isaiah was not a liability on defense but two looking at the the, the Warriors they were to assemble that group. Because people forget, but Curry actually was he making eleven, twelve million dollars a year on his extension. Like obviously, contracts have gotten larger, but they did not. So I think that a, a lot of the reason why that exists is when you put so much money and so many resources into a player who is a liability on one end, it becomes tough to build around them. Usually with wings, when you pay when you pay them like that, they're they're not a liability on either end. Same with bigs, right? Um, in the case of, but the Warriors did not pay Steph like that, and he, he eventually became a better defender. The, the Knicks are not paying Brunson like a star. They are paying him, um, you know, twenty-five million a year. They have the room to surround him with a lot of shooters, um, and it's kind of like you know the last point I'll make, and kind of on what you're saying. I think you mentioned this last year with like 
the Celtics. And it's like Peyton Pritchard was probably their worst defender and he wasn't a bad defender. And for the Knicks, I think it is kind of when you get when you get top heavy, you get that star talent. But the downside is you're only as good as your weakest link. So if your weakest link is somebody we can ignore from the three point line, that can sink you in a series. The Knicks don't really have that. I don't even. I don't think RJ Barrett qualifies as that. And I do. I have faith that like at least this playoffs we'll see better, um, better better shooting from him. And, and even without the shooting, I did think he was able to impact the game on offense. But getting away from that. So I do think that, you know, to your point, I think that you're only as strong as your weakest link because of partly because the parody that you're talking about has become more important as ever. But I'm I'm also just I'll pose the question to both of you, like, can Brunson be the top offensive option on a on a championship team? We'll find out. I don't know. I I think yes. I think yes, actually, which is kind of crazy because I did not think that before this year. I think yes, based on what we've seen from him, but we'll have to see. Like I it and you know they have to win a series. They have to see like I mean, if they win this series, I still think the Bucks are going to beat Miami. Uh, I'm not that worried about that. Is there, but, is like, there an update on Giannis? Or he's he, they said they're optimistic about him coming back for the next game. Um, but like honestly, I, if if let's say we beat the Cavs and then we go play Milwaukee and we lose, but Brunson is clearly like effective and he's cooked drew like he's really cooked drew multiple times this year already um if he's effective i think it has to change significantly maybe what you think of of him and what his ceiling is and what he can be on a championship team um my feeling is and i've I thought this about dame too i'm not saying offensively that what brunson is doing is on par with what dame is has is and has been at his best. Although I will say, Dame's lack of mid range scoring, I think, is an issue in the playoffs, and he's never been particularly good at handling traps and blitzes, which always bites him in the ass against Golden State. Um, but like, what I've thought about Dame is he can be the best offensive player on your team, but he can't be the best player on your team overall if you want to win a championship. Now, maybe because the league is more talented and because depth matters more maybe that changes that calculus. Like maybe you can be both the best offensive player and just player in your team, but you still need to put strong defenders and guys that are capable of protecting him defensively around him. I think that's what applies to Brunson. Um, so I want to see what it is, but it is worth noting he did. He was to me, uh, the best offensive player on what was it? The third best offense, in the NBA this season. I mean, plus something I has to say something about him. Yeah, um, I think that to I'm going to lead into Stacy's question, um, but to go back to what you guys were saying about Josh Hart, I think that Josh Hart represents a shift in the league. Um, I posed the question in our Discord last night. I, I think we're going to stop seeing big threes. I think the league is too good. I don't think you could like look at the Wizards. Like, the Wizards have three guys taking up all their cap, and, like, they can't even make the playoffs. That's insane. Like, like in say what you want about Beal, Kuzma, and Porzingis. They're all flawed in their own right. They're, they're, they're good though. players. They're yeah. good players. Like, and they couldn't make the play-in game. You just, like Schwinn said, there's too many good players. There's just, the league is too deep every single night if you have a weak point. And, and the league is too smart. It's not just that they're like, go, like, you know, I know there's people who prefer him, whatever, but like, go watch a 90s basketball regular season. 
it was just like, oh, dump it into the post. Yeah, okay, dump it into the post. Go watch an 80s basketball game. It was just a track meet, you know? Like, that's not happening anymore. Like, teams are so smart. Every single night they're coming with these smart schemes. And, like, I'm not saying it's perfect basketball every night, but I'm just – it's it's the best it's ever been. And it's the deepest it's ever been. And so what does that have to do with Josh Hart and sort of Tom Thibodeau? There is more value in a high floor than there's ever been. And I can't believe I'm saying that because three months ago I got in a space and I was just like, what is the point of this season if we can't even win a playoff series? Like, I actually said that. And I was just dead wrong. Like, I was just completely wrong because the Knicks are showing you right now what the point and what the value is in building a team where there aren't really areas to exploit. There is value in having, you know, this type of rotation where all 48 minutes you're fielding teams with like, I'm not saying we have a team of perfect players, but it's difficult. There aren't just clear sieves that you're just like attacking on both ends every single time. And like, look at what the Suns did last night. I, I made a joke about it last night. Like, they hit, at one point last night, they had uh, a Kogi, Landry Shamet, mm-hmm. uh, Tory Craig, and Bismack Biombo on the court at the same time, and they were trying to win. And these are yeah, the. I, I, and I got to say, I thought it was hilarious. There were a lot of people like shitting on Monty Williams after the game, and I'm like, I mean, I don't really know what you want him to do. Some of these. Dude's just like that's his depth. He can't do anything about that. What's he? What's he supposed to do? Is he supposed <laughs> to play a, a five man rotation? Like yeah, Kevin I, Durant's I like gonna get. He gets injured every five days anyway. Like he can't exactly push him forty eight minutes a night. Yeah, I, I think we're moving towards a league where consistently good players with one or two true. You still need a star. I'm not saying you can be, you know, just this good team. You need a star. You need multiple stars, maybe, but. You can't just have the stars. You need the depth now. Like the LeBron in 2018 was great, and LeBron in 2007 and 2009 was great. And I, I'm not saying he would have missed the playoffs in these years, but he's not making those runs. You know, as great as he wants to be, he needs pieces. Even even that good a player needs needs help in today's league, and that's how good the league is these days. And what the Knicks are doing right now. I don't know. I, I thought one of the most interesting pods to, to, to sort of prop you two up a little bit. I thought one of the most interesting conversations I've ever heard you two have was when Stacy posed the question, are we sure the Knicks need to get a star? Can they just Josh Hart their way to a title? And y'all talked about it for like 30 minutes. And I was just sitting there listening to you guys talk about it. And I was just like, I really think that they can Josh Hart their way to a title. I think I was on Stacy's side. I, I, I don't think – I think it would be a mistake if they made a big home run trade and, and gave away multiple assets. I think that if there's a way that they can turn Fournier's contract and one, maybe two of their players and then a bunch of picks into a legit star, okay. But, like – Quickly, Grimes, RJ, if we can keep at least two, if not all three of them going forward and just sort of nickel and dime our way, bet on bet on progression and bet on depth. Um, well, I think I think one of the big things is going to be um, Hartenstein because he's an expiring contract after, after next year. Uh, you would think that given – I mean, I think he does really enjoy being in New York. 
Um, he seems like an awesome fucking teammate, and you know he's like really gone out of his way to praise Julius a few times. So he seems very well liked in the locker room, um, and he's CAA. So like you would think there's like a path to keeping him, but that is definitely one. Beyonce is a model, so there could be yeah. advantages staying in New York there too. So. Yes, um, for good reason. She's a model, um, but like, but yeah, I mean, you would think that like but he that's the type of thing you're talking about where it's like depth is awesome but you also need to be able to retain it i do think like the knicks have very good pathways to retaining almost everybody on the roster if they want to retain them um but that's obviously something you need to consider and then there's also the fact that there's a new cba with new financial restrictions and penalties that you need to weigh um but actually because of the new cba is why i think it's even less worthwhile to make these wild huge star trades because it's like you know there's that what is it there's like a the huge yeah and then there's, there's the huge like the after 17 and a half million it's effectively like a hard cap almost um not a hard cap but it's like you can't take on more salary and trade than you have outgoing you can't um you know there's all these various restrictions that come into play so really being able to draft develop and retain talent and find talent on the margins and make these margin moves like a one like josh hart or you know sign a guy like hartenstein it's going to become even more imperative. And in some ways... And drafting Knicks, like we have. Yeah. And, that's and the that's Knicks how you have, keep depth. Yeah. And the Knicks have... Nickel, and you talk about nickel and diming. I mean, they've nickeled and dimed their ways into two guys who are effectively all-star impact players in Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. You know, those are below market value contracts. Like, if Brunson was a free agent after the season he just had this year, he's getting a fucking max. There's no question about it. He's getting a full fucking max. So they've done a really good job of finding value they've done it in a very non-traditional way are you saying the real star free agents were the ones we found along the way (laughs) (laughs) yes uh but like we we have they've picked a very non-traditional path to follow to build a competitive team they took a lot of heat for it from a lot of people right why didn't you tank you should have tanked should have traded randall we talked about that all last summer right gotta trade randall gotta trade randall did you want to trade randall i did not actually i've always (laughs) believed in julius randall um but like they've they've made they've been willing to make decisions that are not popular that are not traditional that could have opened them up to taking a lot of heat you know the moves they made to get jalen brunson like imagine brunson was a dud all we'd be hearing about is, oh my God, Jalen Williams. Oh my God, they passed on Jalen Williams. Oh my God, they passed on Jalen Williams. But because Brunson's so good, aside from like weirdos, I don't think anybody gives a fuck. We're all just like, okay, well, this is great. We have an all-star point guard who's fucking 26. Wonderful. Haven't had this ever in life. Um, so I think, yeah, like I, I agree. I think there's a way to do it. And I don't think you can exactly Josh Hart your way to a title. I do think you need to eventually get a it's little bit. Yeah, I think you do need like one more higher caliber piece, but it could just be like a wing who is as good as Brunson and Randall are, right? It doesn't need to be like yeah. Kawhi I mean, you, you guys. Yeah, I, I, think could, I think it could be OG. I, I think I think OG and Anobi on that yeah. lineup. I'm I, I'm a little bit more skeptical just, of that, but I think that's, that's the range we're talking about. Sorry. Yeah. I, I I was gonna say I was gonna say the same thing, Stacey, except not OG. I was gonna say if we made the Jalen <laughs> the Jalen Brown trade you guys made, I think we would be title favorites. Yeah, I, I that's the, the, no the, the I think the RJ plus the RJ plus Fournier plus whatever or whatever salary and then picks. If we started the season opening night next year with Brunson, Grimes, Jalen Brown, Randall, Mitch, and then quickly and Hart and Hardenstein, that eight man unit with this front office filling it out, I think we're betting title favorites. Save 
save a Warriors resurrection where they get Kevin Durant again or something, you know, like if there's not a legit super team, I would be surprised if the Knicks weren't top, top I'll, I'll be safe, top three betting title favorites if they acquired Jalen Brown. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and sh- and, I mean at this point, I try to do, I think Deuce would be a rotation player in a lot of play- places too. He just he can't get on because it's a good team. I think that I'm higher on Deuce than a lot of other people, but um, you know, let's not forget that there's the Sims day on Earth at 58. Like he could, I mean, he's, it's, it's like if we had to throw Jericho Sims out there, we might have to. Hopefully not. But you know, if Mitch and Hartenstein are both in, in foul trouble, that's not like a disaster the way it is with most teams' third centers, right? Um, the other thing else, I think, like it's kind of there's this idea to me of like a star by committee, right? So you mentioned Jalen Brown, like you have, you know, or, or or maybe even like I'll bring it back to OG, right? Jalen Brunson, what keeps him to me from being a real star at this, or like the, the top end guy, I, I don't think it's offense. We'll see if, if I'm wrong on that. I don't think it's offense. I think it's the fact that he's a liability on one end. So you have a, like a, so that's what keeps you from being that MVP level player. But then you have another guy maybe who's, who's really good on that end, right? On defense, but isn't great at creating his own shot like OG. And then you have another guy who's really good at finishing off of other people's makes and is a really good rebounder so you added that kind of so in like in, in you know in randall so you have you kind of create the star in the aggregate without having to kind of blow your whole load on it and now you also have depth around them right i i, yeah. I think this the idea of a star in the aggregate probably is something that you know that's you know that's the phrasing i think they use in, in Moneyball, right they had you place giambi you, you create them in the aggregate that's something that hasn't always held true in basketball because things you don't have discrete events like baseball. You know, there's a lot more interconnectedness. But now, you know, with you know whether it's the cap, whether it's kind of you know being able to like teams being smarter about how to push and pull for and control for weaknesses. I wonder if you you could kind of construct it if you do it intelligently like that. So. Yeah, um, I, uh, I I see the I see the vision with OG. Like I, I see what you're saying from a fit perspective. I just think that there's this buffer zone of, to me, I still see the vision with RJ. And I yeah. think to trade RJ for a replacement, there needs to be a level of player that we're getting, a guaranteed level of player and a guaranteed level of team contention status to give up on him and to sell low on him. Um, and for, yeah, me, OG, OG isn't, for me, OG isn't that level of player. Yeah, I, I would agree, especially if we have to give up RJ and picks, right? Like, yeah, we're giving up picks for OG, but I, I'm just saying, like, if you added OG to this team without, you know, it, it, I think it, that that is a contender. So, yeah, um, I don't need to repeat myself. I'm not an OG fan. Uh, all right, that is a good place to end it. That is our pod for today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, Stacy, let people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, you can find me at Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, I will be doing another pod with uh, Matthew Miranda tomorrow. That should be releasing tomorrow before the game. And um, I think he's releasing a solo one today on Blue Mix. So uh, check those out um, as well. Oh, I'll plug one other thing, actually. Uh, if you're a college basketball fan, um, we didn't get to talk about the Kings at all. But um, but we went uh, the Believe Kentucky podcast. Great, guys. It, it was really fun. They had me and Matt on to talk about uh, about the Kentucky Knicks. Um, so that was a fun pod to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you like Kentucky and or the Knicks or college basketball in general, uh, definitely check that out. Word. Uh, Jeff, 
let the people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything you'd like to plug. Um, I'm just Frank Barrett, 11.9 on Twitter. Always plug the stuff we're doing at Strickland. It's good stuff. Um, I also want to plug Tom Thibodeau. You know, like, I thought he coached a really good game. Do wow, you? that's really weird. That's really weird <laughs> wording. I do not want to do that. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, hey, it's good. Hey, it's, it feels... Feels good to laugh. It's twenty. I would like to plug. I would like. To, how do I? How do I say this without plug Tom Thibodeau's coaching? Out. Yes, there it is. I would like to plug Tom Thibodeau's coaching. Um, <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking about it this whole pod because Schwinn, you have your game two is house money, and I was thinking like, if you could have one coach for this game two, like how many coaches would just be like, okay, we stole a game. You know, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Tom Tudo is going to make sure these guys are like, no, fuck that. We're going to let's get up for this game and let's steal both. And he coached such a good game in game one. I just I spent so much time like bashing him and just being like, oh, get anybody else to coach. Guy doesn't know what he's doing. And like, look, I will stand by hating what he did last season. I still believe it was wrong. It was wrong. I don't nobody can. The fact that he's changed like so much and we've improved speaks to that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, part of my criticism was that I thought he would never adapt. Um, and I thought he was incapable of it. And that I thought it was a waste of time to think that he could adapt. And he has proven me wrong in that regard. And he's, I think this is his best. I think this was better, a better season than the we here season. And I think that game one was an absolute, like I just thought it was wonderful. And so, you know, if I'm going to be loud about bashing him, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I feel an obligation to be loud about praising him. And I thought he was great. And I hope he can continues to be great. So good on Tom Thibodeau. Apologies for the sexual innuendo. I promise that, you know, <laughs> that was unintentional. The heart wants what it wants. I have nothing to plug. Um, Definitely not going to plug Tom Thibodeau, uh, but I will. Uh, I will plug also plug all the work at the Strickland. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. We came out with a bunch of good content last week. Articles, podcasts, everything across the board was really really good. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, um, aside from that, just uh, gonna plug the uh, old New York Knickerbockers uh, winning game two hopefully tomorrow. Uh, that would be great. And and you know I just wanted to say this. You said I don't even think this team thinks of it as stealing. I think they. They believe they're better than Cleveland. I think that's the key to this all. They they believe they're as good as anybody. They play without fear. Um, I don't think they ever feel when they step on the floor, they're outmatched against anybody in the NBA for better or worse. That's the mindset you need to have. You can't be scared. You can't be tentative. And, um, you know, we talked about, you know, guys like Quickly and Grimes. Maybe they were feeling it. Sure. But as a collective group, they didn't fold. And that's what this team is more than anything. It's a team. Um, I love this team. I think they're fucking awesome. And hopefully they win a playoff series, and we can keep this uh, the season going a little bit longer uh, than anybody. I think anybody would have anticipated the start of the year. Uh, okay, that and is Schwinn, our Schwin. Schwin, we have a we have a watch party. Yeah, yeah, uh, we do have a watch party that is tomorrow at uh, Jack Doyle's in New York City. Uh, we're going to be there at six thirty p.m. So check that out if you want to jump in and join us we will be there uh okay Did you know colin loring will actually be in colorado for it 
I, I did know that because he told us 15 times on Discord in every channel. Uh, all right, that is our podcast for today. I hope everybody has a great week. Hopefully the next time I am speaking with you, the Knicks are in possession of a 2 nothing lead, and we get to look forward to Game 3 at home at the Garden on Friday night. That is our pod again for today. I hope everyone has a great week, and I'll see you then. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.